Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast from a non-Trekky perspective. In this episode, we're doing another episode of our on-screen series where we look at an episode of an iconic TV series featuring a guest appearance by a major member of Star Trek alumni. And today we are focusing on Frasier has left the building. <laughs> and to do that, I am joined by my usual co-host, Matt. Hello. And Paul. Hey there, Spotlighters. And we also have a special guest with us, a returning guest. In fact, as of this episode, our most featured guest ever, David Trumbull. How are you doing, sir? Hi, guys. The Fraser in me feels incredibly <laughs> happy to be your number one guest in terms of appearances. David, That's like... we're listening. <laughs> yeah. did, did you? Who did you pip to become now the number one? His own twin brother. So, David in Trumbull. a true Fraser and Niles <laughs> yeah, yeah, bit of yeah. Shakespearean <laughs> psychological tragedy, I have surpassed him as the spotlight corkmaster and uh, I shall I can't wait to go back uh, to tooting to gloat yeah exactly exactly and you're joining us today to have a look at Frasier specifically season 11 episode 3 the doctor is out guest starring Jean-Luc Picard himself Sir Patrick Stewart legend but there are lots of other Star Trek connections with Frasier, which we'll go into later. But we're going to take a look at this episode first. But before we do that, David, can you remind our listeners who the fuck you are? <laughs> Sometimes I don't know, but I am a storyboard supervisor who uh, works in the animation industry recently for Netflix Animation. And that is a job that's taken me uh, all the way to the States. And so... Um, I, I met you guys all the way back in film school, and uh, this is actually quite a momentous occasion for me because it's the first time since I recorded the first podcast episode with you, uh, The Morality of Trek. Mm -hmm. It's the first time I've been here in person. So mm. even though I've been on the show quite a few times, this actually feels really special because it's been a while. And I'm not actually recorded with Matt yet. So. Yeah, and we're all naked. Yeah. <laughs> and even though you've been on the show multiple times, you've still got your fucking arms on the table. So oh, yeah. get those off. <laughs> uh, it, as you say, you work for Netflix Animation. Can you tell us what you're working on at the moment, David? Actually, I cannot. Oh, right. Because it is... Uh, NDA protected. What exclusive listeners? <laughs> Next. What I will tell you is, I can tell you what the IP is. I cannot tell you what right. the specific title within that IP is. Right, right, right. Because right. it is yet to be officially announced. But as of the beginning of last year, I've been working on various projects uh, within Netflix's Roald Dahl adaptations. Uh, I've been working on one for the last year, and uh, that was the job where, where I was promoted to storyboard supervisor. Amazing, amazing. And some of these have been announced, haven't they? Obviously, the whole yes. thing's been announced, but yeah. some individual products have been announced, like the Charlie, and the, mm. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, that's been announced. That has it? been announced, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. only two that have been announced are the two that Taika Waititi is overseeing as showrunner. Oh, there yeah. is the Wes Anderson, oh. Henry Sugar one, which okay. is Netflix. So that... That requires a little explanation, which is that um, when I first started, uh, it was just the animated limited series. However, during my tenure, Netflix went all in on the Dalverse and they purchased 
the Roald Dahl Story Company in its entirety. So now they own everything. And so Wes Anderson has now come on board. And so on top of all of these animated shows, they are also like in the Roald Dahl business for life now because they own it uh, <laughs> right. uh, completely. And so Wes Anderson has come on board, you know, obviously having made Fantastic Mr. Fox uh, in stop motion, he's now making what I believe is going to be a, a live action, but no less stop motion-y, I'm sure, <laughs> uh, adaptation of Roald Dahl's Oh, adult. it's going to be live action, yeah. is it? Yeah, I believe it's going to be live action. Oh, okay, okay. Um, mm. but, but it's going to be uh, uh, The Tale of Henry Sugar, which is one of Roald Dahl's uh, adult Best books. known films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, like, in, I, I could name any name and you could be like, yeah, I, I, uh, okay. You know yes. what I mean? Uh, so The Minpins, like everybody's favourite. <laughs> you, you joke, I would love for I would The Minpins to be made. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the IP I want to see up on the screen. Okay, moving on from that, but... Before you worked on the Royal Dahl adaptations, uh, you worked on Henry Zelix, Wendell and Wild, and that is coming out this year, right? It is, it is. I can't say exactly when it's coming out, but it will be this year. Mm. And we're very excited. They've already released the first few teases of the characters in these very little sort of short snippets that have gone mm. in sort of like a viral campaign that's going to be ramping up as it gets closer to it so i'm really excited because i've had nothing but nda protected projects for the last like three mm. years and so i can't <laughs> wait to start bolstering my 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 online presence with something that isn't ugly dolls you know yeah. I, I like it that you know do you still get that thrill from when you see your first frame of something that you've kind of storyboarded in the teaser that they've chosen that shot Yes. You want to be your, your own, that you've been there with it since the Well, beginning. I love that you said that because the very first bit of footage ever posted from uh, the Wendell and Wilde account was a shot that was only the second sequence I boarded on the film. So it was very emotional to be like, oh, that is a shot that came out of my brain yeah. after I read the script. Yeah, and it, it yeah. survived all the way through to being turned into puppets on an actual set, lit, yeah. filmed with a real <laughs> camera and animated, and now it's now it's uh, indelibly people's first introduction to those characters. And is it a case you lose the kind of connection to it at a certain point, so you just like, when it gets out the other end of the sausage factory, you're like, when it, when you see it, it's like, I've lost track of this. The last yeah. time I saw that was in a kind of colour rendition, maybe, or, or an animation. Do you know what? It is magic, because animation is such a magical process, precisely because at some point you do get this dislocation from your experience of it. And when I was still on the project, I did a little bit of design work on it, towards the end, which overlapped with my work on the Dahl projects. And consequently, it meant that I had access to the rushes that were coming through that the uh, production got to watch every week. So every Friday, I'd see like new animation come off the pipeline. And that was really exciting because I'd see shots of mine sort of drip feeding in. Yeah. But actually, I was more relieved once I stopped getting access to those drops. <laughs> because at some point, I was like, I've seen like maybe half the film in an animated form. It looks breathtaking. But I want to be watching it as a member of the audience. So I actually mm. love that there's huge swaths of it that I still haven't seen. And, yeah. You know, and so I can be a, a member of the audience completely and forget that I had such an intense part of it. And I'm going to ask a question, be a technical one. With um, animation, particularly stop motion animation, every shot is expensive, obviously. Yes. And then every, every, you know, every frame they're taking, it takes more time. Mm. How much extra, like, leeway do they give on each shot to kind of ensure that they can kind of have some latitude with cutting? Or is it down to the frame that they kind of... They only, is, they only shoot what they need, exactly. It's definitely down to the frame. Um, as we're working on animation, animation is always a slightly heartbreaking process because you begin with blue sky, you begin with every single cool shot you can imagine, and the production always is a bit overambitious. And then as you go through, just logically, because everything is so expensive, you start winnowing out the things that you need to cut, like you lose entire sequences. You know the expression, kill your darlings? Uh, I once glibly said that uh, being a storyboard artist is 
is that you kill your darlings, but instead of killing them, you hand them over to someone else and then they kill them in front of you. Like <laughs> some producer is like, oh yeah, was this that sequence? <laughs> Gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you just go, okay, okay. And then you wipe a tear and you keep going. But yeah, um, because of animation's process, and um, uh, Matt knows a little bit about it, it's like uh, the, the, the story department like rigorously mm. tests the cut and does multiple screenings before a single frame of animation is done. Mm. So as you go forward, you lock the amount of time you have first. So, so they do that with the whole yeah. thing. There's well, no such There's really no such thing as a true deleted scene in animation because mm. they would never let it get to the production stage. Mm. And in fact, whenever you do see a deleted scene from like say Finding Dora or something, which is actually fully rendered like a real deleted scene and not a story reel, that's proof that there was some someone fucked up in that production like oh god they like they got they went that far and then had to go back and yeah. change the story that cost them a ton so you you've got to make all the mistakes uh, that you could possibly make while it's uh, rough thumbnails and and uh, and cut together sequences with scratch and temp dialogue and things but, but they lock the <clears throat> duration they they lock mm-hmm. the runtime obviously there's a little bit of nip and tuck here and there as you mm. go along and as as they start animating and you get towards the final weeks of locking story that's when the real dicey hard parts get get in there and you have to make some really mm. tough choices but and this is uh, obviously after all the voice acting has been done right because that must dictate length as actually well. that's not even necessarily true because voice actors get employed all the way through the process mm. uh, up until the point when story is locked the moment there's a lid on story that's when like i mean uh, i've i've worked on uh, movies where We've uh, uh, been in the final week and we've completely changed a sequence because we knew we were losing this other sequence and we had to make the internal logic of the plot work without having to go and make new stuff because we didn't have any new assets. We didn't have any more seconds to put into the film. So I was like, okay, well, we have a fight scene here. Let's put some dialogue onto the fight scene. We reboarded it. And then one of the actors who was on tour somewhere in the States had to go to actually my hometown of Des Moines because he was on, he was traveling around, he was a singer. And so I actually had to tell them where he could go to record his scratch to be able to get that extra Mm -hmm. bit of exposition in. (laughs) So randomly I was in LA and he was in my hometown of, of Des Moines, Iowa recording lines for the film all the way up to the end. Amazing. So those stories that you hear of Adam Driver in his hotel room closet recording mm. lines for Star Wars, it's probably true. Yeah. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I can remember Brenda Chaffin, yeah. uh, the director of Prince of Egypt, once telling me that she had to go all the way to New Zealand to record Scratch with Ray Fiennes because he was filming something with Kate Blanchett at the time and she said it was the most mm. uh, surreal experience to get off that long of a flight and suddenly be recording yeah. <laughs> Ray Fiennes yeah. in the middle of, of nowhere, you know. Fantastic. So, you know, I'm just going to get the dustpan brush for that name you dropped down there. I'll just uh, sweep, sweep that up. <laughs> no, 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 it's not my only name. You, mean, you, you might want to keep the dustpan brush by your side. <laughs> and my final question, I've got a toddler who wants to ask you a question. Have you seen Tumbleleaf? I have not seen Tumbleleaf. But have you heard about Tumbleleaf? No, I've not. Tell me. It's a stop motion. It's an Amazon original, like, show. Oh, wait, I think I... I... It's like all the little stories are like STEM sort of based. So they're like this little fox working things out. Like they find an object and they have to work out why it it works the way it works. Is that a British production? No, it's American, but it's an amazing stop motion animation. You can't believe the amount of craft in each episode. It looks like they just threw a lot of money at it. I love that because I so enjoyed uh, Netflix's anthology series, The House. And I really enjoyed Robin Robin over Christmas. Mm. Stop motion is having a resurgence right now. Guillermo del Toro doing Mm. his Pinocchio as well. And they just announced the first trailer for that and the cast and stuff. It's the sixth Pinocchio yeah. this year. It is. It's like there's, there's more Pinocchios than there are James Bonds, Batman, and Princess Dianas on film yeah. now. Yeah. I think we need an origin story for Geppetto. Have they done that? Pinocchio <laughs> Infinity War coming soon. Uh, yeah. it's Pinocchio you, No Way Home. Yeah. Yeah. Pinocchio No Way Home. Stop motion animation. 
Oh, sorry, I thought you said... I think I just misheard you. I thought yeah. you said it's something based. I oh, thought. it's based on STEM. Like, you know, so science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Oh! Like, you know, those principles, like, they're learning. And so, you right. know, like, wheels and, like, cogs and springs and things like that, you know, or, or working stuff out with weights... So it'll be part of the plot, like, but you'll be learning. You just don't. That sounds like a really, really good idea. It's so sweet. (laughs) It's just great. Like, and you know, he really loves it. Now he's starting to articulate. He's beginning to tell Alexa that he wants it. So, so, so it's getting you never. Wilson's child genius confirmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, There we go. That's it. That's it. Alexa. I'm I'm definitely going to have to track that down because Selick did say once why he loved stop motion. Um, He said that it's like, it's a medium. Let's just say it moved me. Do a bigger house. (laughs) 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 Sorry, just one second. We get the dust panel. I dropped Henry too. Sorry. Uh, um, uh, He he said that the reasons that people keep coming back to stop motion, no matter how much technology advances, is because... He describes it as a medium that's already old to begin with. Mm. So it can't really be updated. It can be added to. There's a lot of new technologies to how to make new puppets, mm. how to it's make analog. new sets, how to extend mm. sets. Mm-hmm. But really the thing that makes it beautiful is that it's like nostalgic and tactile. Mm. And, and so... Well, in a I, weird I, way, yeah. it's live action anyway, but you're just taking a frame at a time and then animating the frames. Of I mean, that's the, that's my theory as to why the visual effects of someone like Douglas Trumbull have mm. endured for so long, despite mm. being yeah. made in the 80s or the 60s, is because... The human eye, I think, can tell when something's been actually photographed, yeah, yeah. no matter how advanced mm, the yeah. CGI is, yeah. has become. So just knowing that stop motion is having like a, a, a bit of a renaissance right now makes me super happy. So mm. I'm we're gonna track that down for sure. I love mm. that. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, I mean Doug Trumbull recently passed away. Obviously, I, yes. I watched yeah. uh, Silent Running properly for the first time. I randomly saw like half of it when I was a kid, uh, but I randomly hadn't seen the whole film. I watched it on blue after he passed away, and the model work is. Just, you got it. Fucking sad. No, no, no. no. Oh, Cinema Paradiso job, right? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I have to get it. Yeah, it is. It's stunning. It's my only. It's my 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 trumble blind spot. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, you, yeah, you love it, mate. The more mm. and it's it, if anything, it's more. It's fifty years since it was made, mm. and it's you know more prescient now, obviously, than mm. ever. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Watching a film like nineteen seventy two when it first came out. Literally everyone who had just gone Brewster's character, crazy tree hugger. Whereas now we're like, he, he's right. He's uh, he's yeah. actually right. <laughs> I thought Joni Mitchell enjoyed it though. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's very good. Silent Running recommended. And of course, talking about big name voice actors, when and Wild will star the voices of, of Jordan Peele, Jordan Peele and, and Keegan Michael Key. Absolutely, yes, and a couple of other really exciting names that I can't wait till they've been announced to be able to talk about. But yeah, those are the two um, lead characters, and Peele has been very much involved in the screenplay. His production company, Monkey Paw, has been uh, a collaborator with Selex Production, and so it's just been really cool to see and also to board something like I was saying and then hear their scratch look like actually towards the end of the production just like not even hearing uh, uh, someone from the crew doing the voices attempt actually just hearing Key and Peele like workshopping that stuff it just felt like oh god I'm making a film with these guys yeah. they don't know who I am but oh my god it's cool we're collaborating yeah that's very 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 <laughs> I'll cool I'll see them at a party once I'll be like guys security courtrooms <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> get Today, we're here to talk about Frasier, and before we get into this specific episode that we're covering today, uh, I'd like to go around the table and get everyone's Frasier credentials. What have you seen? How aware of you of the show? Are you a fan? Matthew. 
I've probably seen like a lot of it, but it's not one that I've been able to go through with like a season by season box set watch. It's one I always remember my parents watching on TV a lot. And it was always that and not something like Cheers. Like, I think we all kind of came to Cheers a bit late, didn't mm. we? With um, sort of rediscovering that or recently. Never at all. <laughs> or never at all. <laughs> and so it's like, like I vividly remember when Frasier finished, like when that finale aired in 2004 and how big a deal that was. But it's just been one of those things where I've caught it on Channel 4 in the morning before work or whatever. And, uh, what a way to start the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just been like, you know, in super in awe of its standing as one of the sitcom greats and always liking what I see. And uh, yeah, if I had the fucking time to do an entire like 11 season deep dive would be great. But well, it that is... sort of time does not exist. Well, I should say for listeners, if you want to watch this episode of Frasier or any episode of Frasier, they are all available in the UK on all four. Mm. Uh, which is a free streaming app from Channel 4. And in America, I'd imagine they're all available on Paramount+. Plus. They are indeed, yes. Uh, David can confirm, because yeah. he lives in America. Yeah. Uh, have you got Paramount+, Plus, David? Do you know what? I, I watched Frasier yesterday on my laptop here in the UK because it hadn't yet noticed that it wasn't in America anymore. Right. And then it was like, oh, wait a minute, you're not where you're supposed to be. And then I go, okay, great. Well, then I can finally catch up on Better Call Saul now, because the, for some reason, Better Call Saul's fifth season is only half on like the Netflix US and so I'm like god damn it and then I finally think great I'll load up the next episode and then my laptop once again forgot and was like we see you with that VPN no better call Saul for you and I'm like I swear to god I'm in England (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no it's on Paramount Plus and you've got Paramount Plus I do yes Um, fucking shill I tell you what, <laughs> give us that stuff, mother. <laughs> it has been, I mean, like, lo- far bit for me to, like, have to load up on yet another streaming service. I resisted it for as long as I could. But, honestly, i gotta be, I got to be candid with you. It was the fact that Star Trek has diversified into animation again mm. for the first time in ages. And I have watched and really enjoyed Star Trek Prodigy, mm. which uh, I really can't wait for you to cover at one yeah. point. Because... Uh, it's probably, in my humble opinion, maybe because of its medium, maybe because of the audience it's intended for, feels like the closest thing diehard Star Trek fans will get to the spirit of mm. what they knew. Mm. Uh, as wow. opposed to, you know, I mean, I'm all for everyone having different kinds of Star Trek. You know, the Star yeah. Trek is now for all types of people, and that's great. Bringing a Big tent fan- franchise is great. But in terms of my personal relationship to Star Trek, I think Star Trek is, and I don't want to say this like, in a way that's like unclear, but like Star Trek to me is quite childlike. And I don't mean it in an immature way because I think some of the modern Trek mm. is more immature um, in, in its attempt to be like cool or more action scenes and more sexy people. And like it I, comes across as a bit more yeah. immature in its, in its <laughs> attempt to get people's eyeballs. Agree. Whereas Prodigy is aimed at children yet captures that innocence and sort of like consideration that... I define a Star Trek from my childhood is like people in rooms talking about important things and morals and values and having debates about about the ethics of this situation or that situation. And because they can't swear, because they can't be violent, it actually feels more like a spiritual successor to Next Generation, to, to Deep Space Nine, to Voyager, to the to the OG series. And so I've been having a great time with it, I've got to be honest. Oh, okay. oh, well, I'm looking forward to covering it more, more so now. Yeah, I mean, as soon as Paramount allow us to watch it legally in the UK, <laughs> we'll get on it. <laughs> Paul, uh, what are your Frasier credentials? Oh, man, I've loved Frasier since, like, late night, Channel 4 in the 90s, and yeah, then early morning, 
Channel 4 in the noise. <laughs> and, and, and continuing to now, it's still on early morning and, Channel 4. And, um, yeah, then I, I, I loaded them on an episode at a time. I, I downloaded the whole series and then I added them to my like portable television set, which was a <laughs> uh, sort of flat screen things you get these days. And uh, watched like three or four per train journey because I was doing a lot of train journeys. And nice. I, just, I did the whole 11 seasons like that way. So I have watched every single episode now. And it was a chortle like the whole way through. Like there were so many crackers in there. You know, I did notice that season 10 drop-off, as we, we've talked about before, but yeah. pick up again for series 11, which we, mm. we interpret today. And, uh, yeah, uh, so I just love a farce. There's so many great farce episodes, like Bedroom Farce. Uh, it always seems to take place in some kind of log cabin, which I've never... Like, <laughs> I, always be in, I always wanted to be in a log cabin. But, like, uh, I want a log cabin I don't think farce this to happen to me. I don't think they exist on the Paramount Batlock. Is that the only place <laughs> that they do? It's just an American, distinctly American thing. Like, uh, maybe we've got Airbnb or Landmark Trust one, but... Yeah, uh, just get just a ski lodge. Just have a farce, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's terrific. And, I, you know, you know how much I love it. And I know that we, we share this passion, don't we? And, Very um, much so. Uh, you know, so much as I got you for Christmas, a, a map or a kind of a architectural drawing of Fraser's apartment. Yeah, well, you might see that in promo photos for this episode. So, I can't yeah. wait to see it. That yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Amazing. David? Well, um, I think Fraser. I've had quite a few connections to in many and varying ways, actually. And uh, I, I believe, Liam, like, you and I really bonded over Frasier for a long time. And actually, I think our, our conversations probably is how this episode came about, was we, we talk about Frasier a lot. And I remember it so much as a, a comfort show back when I was a teenager, because, it, you know, back in that sort of bubble that there's now burst of when the whole family would sit down in the evenings on, like, a Friday night and watch Channel 4, like, mm. maybe an hour and a half or to two to three hours of content every Friday, like, without fail, because we didn't have streaming, we didn't have uh, ways for us all to be on our phones. We actually all sat down, we watched Friends, or we watched Friends followed by uh, Will and Grace, but then Frasier was always, like, the third one. It was on a little bit later, and because of that, I think I always associated it as being a little bit more highbrow, just because it was after yeah. Friends. It was, it was like, slightly who, later. Who sponsored Frasier? Was it BMW? Like, something or, like or that. Or Wilkinson Sword, or something. It was something very, kind of, <laughs> like a shiny... Wine. And classy, yeah, and just sort of like you know uh, aspirational slightly, yeah. And I think that kind of added to the vibe <laughs> that it's like an adult show, the also op- yeah, and yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but also it had those tasteful title cards that mm. would come up, and it had that Very, awesome opening, that, that lounge jazz, yeah. The, the t- even even the the theme tune at the end, to our salad and scrambled eggs. I was like, I don't understand what the lyrics mean, but that must mean that it's somehow cerebral in a Fraserish kind of a way. Yeah. It was just one of those shows that like defined that period of my life and it was a show that my parents found funny and my dad was not easily impressed by things he didn't mm. find friends very yeah, funny because he was not from that sort of like demographic really but he found Frasier hilarious because Frasier liked opera and my dad loves opera and classical yeah. music like the the, mm. the, the jokes Frasier and Niles made my dad got them and chortled and even the jokes that were too like obscure or or like pretentious that like it took me many years to get them mm, yeah. I would see that my dad got them and I'd laugh because I think well my dad gets it so it must be funny and, and yeah. so me and Stephen just grew up loving those characters yeah. That was kind of like a little moment that's kind of nostalgic. And I, I, I still considered it in the same headspace as Star Trek because the Paramount logo would show up at the end of both. And so for some reason, they've always been connected to me because uh, Star Trek was another one of those things I fell in love with at that time. And then, you know, like a decade or so later, me and Stephen had one of those moments you get when you're living back at home again. You fall, fell back into the nest for a while. And it was the time of DVDs suddenly. And we bought 
the whole 11 seasons in different box sets that just eventually we ended up having them all. And we watched that show religiously. It was like a second phase of Fraser Love where me and Stephen just went through the show beginning to end, no joke, probably over five times, mm. probably more. So after a while, it became the quintessential kind of comfort box set to binge. And so consequently, even though... Uh, it's been so many years since I've actually watched it all the way through. Coming back to it has felt like putting on like a, a, a warm pair of slippers or something. It's been so delightful. It's the warmth you mentioned there. It's like, it's just all the interiors mm. are, it has aged mm. so well. Like the radio station, the apartment, like mm. these things, like, I don't know, it's so well done yeah. that they don't date it. They're so elegant in elegant, their construction. Yeah. The yeah. bottle episodes the don't feel cheap. Like, yeah. you could watch an entire episode in the apartment yeah. and you don't feel like you're watching an episode where they were saving money or something. Everyone feel They feel like delightful farces, as you say, yeah. or, or little mini plays. Yeah. Some of them are really serious and, and that's also delightful, but it's because they built, like, one of my favourite episodes uh, that I watched in, in preparation for this again was My Coffee with Niles, which is the season oh. one closer. Oh and that is basically just them never leaving the coffee shop. And it's just Frasier and Niles having coffee together. And I love it because it reminds me of how much I love going out for coffee with my brother Steve. Like me and Stephen have always had a, sort of a funny, uh, loving slash uh, adversarial brother relationship, much in the vein of Fraser and Niles. Yeah, we know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyone who's listened to uh, Stephen's amazing podcast "50s is for the Word Love" will we'll, we'll definitely get a lot more of that. But there, and I believe we even name check Fraser and Niles in that. But... Yeah. Well, we, we, let's we'll say it right now yeah. for listeners: David and Stephen are the Fraser and Niles of our lives. It is so true. Yeah. It is like, yeah. uh, and and it, so much so that whilst we were going through, I mean, this is like, uh, it, it's not talking out of school because we've talked about it on podcast before but there was a period of our life uh, about 10 years ago where, where our relationship was a little bit more uh, contentious in places and during that period we still loved each other and we still loved hanging out with each other because twins have a very close bond but there was a kind of a rivalry between us that was sort of unspoken but whenever we did speak about it the language we used to sort of like be okay with it was we would always go okay we're just going to be like Fraser and Niles like this is okay they throw barbs at each other they roast each other outrageously but they always love each other mm -hmm. and so all of those episodes like I mean just to give a bit more context to, to Liam's correct assertion that we are Fraser and Niles the one thing Fraser and Niles can't do is collaborate. Like the, oh, the episode where they try to write the book and yeah. they lock themselves in a hotel room. You stole my money! <laughs> it's like, that is me and Stephen as children. Like, me and Stephen... <laughs> no joke wrote our version of the Crane Boys mysteries <laughs> yeah that's you know? I figure you may have the Crane Boys mysteries yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah me and Steven like whenever like they allude to like the musical that they wrote in, in college like when some boys go to college but we think they're all wussies because they get all the knowledge and we get all the <laughs> yeah me and Steven had like a thousand projects that didn't go anywhere when we were kids because we just fundamentally had two big personalities that could not gel because we were still wrestling with being like uh, we were trying to um there, there's an episode that i rewatched the dinner party episode where they're trying to put on a, din a, a, a dinner party it's, a oh, it's yeah, another yeah, classic yeah. bottle episode in the yeah. apartment where they are basically trying to get this couple uh to come to a dinner party they end up getting an answering machine message from that couple saying yes we'll come to your dinner party but then they accidentally leave the phone off the hook oh lord was that the answering machine it's Alison Wolpert, and yes, count us in for the 11th. Looking forward to it. Bye. 
That's wonderful. I so enjoy the Wilpens. Yes. Who is that? Uh, we just got invited to a dinner party at Dr. Crane's. Which Dr. Crane? Does it matter? You get the one, you get that other one. Personally, I think the whole arrangement is a little... Is that thing off the hook? What? Oh, my God. What do you suppose she meant by that? Obviously. She thinks we're always together. That we're some sort of... couple. <laughs> That's ridiculous. We spend lots of time apart. <laughs> Besides, who is she to talk? Look at her and Harry. They go everywhere together. They're married, Niles. And then the whole rest of the episode is them analyzing whether or not they spend too much time together and whether they're considered <laughs> as a couple. Me and Stephen were that couple. We were, you, you get the one trumble, you get that other trumble. And the big joke is they're arguing who's the other trumble, yeah, which one? Yeah, yeah. You are so that other one. And so yeah. there was a period for like about 10 years when me and Stephen were each other's <laughs> other one, like the albatross around the other's neck. So I love that you went, there was a period for about 10 years. Years. About ten years, <laughs> the darkest. No, no, the entire length yeah. of the Fraser's run. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but when did John Mahoney sort it out for you? <laughs> well, I mean, you joke, but that show really did do an awful lot of healing for us because. I mean, first off, John Mahoney, everybody's dad. You know, a lot of praise gets heaped very, very rightly on both Cus Grammer and David Hyde Pierce for being those two amazing performances. But John Mahoney is the third part of that trinity, you know, yeah. without which the show doesn't work. And 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 so me and Stephen would often like uh, filter our like uh, neuroses or our, our, our dynamic through that lens of like these two brothers love each other, but they're also have a power struggle and they really need to let um, each other breathe and, and grow and evolve. And that happens through the series to the point that at the end, they truly are respectful of each other. And that did happen in its own way with me and Stephen. And it happened after I moved to, to America and we both gave each other space finally. We weren't in each other's business all the time. About 4,000 miles. About 4,000 miles. And, and as a beautiful coming full circle, one of my favorite gifts that Stephen sent me um, to America. And it's so silly because it's just a small thing, but it really made me cry when I got it, which was he sent me a black coffee mug with the Seattle skyline in that iconic Frasier oh, uh, logo. Mm. And it doesn't even say anything. It's no text. It's just the skyline just in that Frasier thing. It's my Frasier mug and it came from Stephen. And it was it was like a beautiful, unspoken way of being like, you know, we came out the other side of that Fraser and Niles period. Mm. And so every time I, uh, I I have my coffee when I'm working, I always think of Steve. And I always think mm. about that that time and how grateful I am for it, uh, mm. that we came out of it that way. That's really lovely. Oh, beautiful. Oh. Well, like now I've got to talk about my Fraser connections, and obviously I cannot uh, follow up with that. your Fraser? I feel bad now because I, I haven't even got round to the bit where I tell you that I met David Hyde Pierce. What? Oh, fucking hell. All right, go on. No, no, I, no, no. Continue, continue. No, no, go on, get on with it. I had one last name to drop, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in true Niles fashion, I waited and then pounced. Um, no, um, so when I first went to America, me and my girlfriend Dana, we went to New York, went to see a Broadway play, but it starred Sigourney Weaver and David Hyde Pierce. Oh, wow. And both were phenomenal. And in fact, they were nominated for Tony's. They didn't win, but the play won Best Play at the Tony's. Oh, Day. great. And it was uh, called Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike. And it was an original comedic play, very much in that family farce uh, genre. And Dana knew how much I loved both Weaver and Pierce and knew about my my relationship with Stephen and how we, we always considered ourselves Fraser and Niles. 
So we went to see that and he was absolutely hysterical. There's like a whole a whole sequence towards the end of the play. He's this quite grumpy, introverted guy. And for a lot of the story, it's about a, a it's about siblings who uh, haven't articulated their feelings to each other, which is very on brand. But for the most of the play, he doesn't seem very much like Niles. He's kind of quiet and, and reserved and doesn't talk. But then there's a moment at the end of the play where he ends up unraveling and going on a massive rant for about five minutes. And it's like just him almost doing a monologue and it's pure Niles freak out. It's like, it's like having front row seats to an episode of Frasier yeah. that, that's just for us. And uh, after he finished, he was completely out of breath and everyone in the audience applauded. It was like this incredible, great applause break in the play. And then it was one of the few times, because I'm not a big fan of doing this, but it was one of the few times when I went to the stage door, because obviously, you know, meeting Scorny Weaver was another dream to, to realise. But then to meet him, I actually got to tell him, you know, uh, me and my brother, and we're very much uh, like Fraser and Niles, to which he was like perfectly, without missing beat, was like, huh, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, <laughs> like, it's just, just like, a, that's awful. And, and, and it, was, it was exactly perfect while he signed my, my, my playbill and stuff <laughs> like that. Amazing. But I'll always remember meeting Niles and getting to tell him that we had some kind of connection to yeah. that brother bond. And they really yeah. did, it really did help us. Yeah. Well, nice. But do I'm continue. So yeah, well, well, oh, yeah. Working out. Well, yeah, I can't talk me and David Hyde fucking Pierce. Like, well, anyway. Show and I like it yeah, basically, that's it. Like, uh, <laughs> literally, I'm like Paul. I watched it on Channel 4 when it came out. I came in about halfway through season four when it was on originally. Mm. And I remember the thing that got me onto Frasier was my nan actually loved it. Mm. My nan fucking loved Frasier. She had good taste in comedy, that one, because she turned uh, me onto Only Fools and Horses when I was really young. Nice. But she absolutely loved Frasier, and she was like, yeah, you must watch that. And obviously I was watching Friends uh, that time. And so literally I just kept the TV on after Friends yeah. and watched a Frasier. And i got to say... It, it is because it is way more sophisticated than oh, something like that. It has Brent. aged so much better. Like in terms of its writing and stuff like that. And I, at first, was like almost like, whoa, hitting a brick wall. Like, what, what's this? And it took me a couple of runs of it. And then I was like, and then I fell in love with it. Mm. And by the time I hit round end of season five, beginning of season six, I was, yeah, absolutely hooked and then watched it all the way through to the end. And then went back and filled in the blanks with uh, DVDs and stuff. And then, like you say, it's become a total comfort blanket mm -hmm. show. I've got the DVD box set of all of it and I've watched the whole thing. And you've got something over me, actually, in terms of credentials, because you've watched the rest of Kelsey Grammer's Frasier Tenure. Yes, yeah, I have. Well, because for years, I didn't what? see Cheers. Well, including Wings. No, not Wings. Not so the really well, what, not the one episode. <laughs> not the one episode of Wings where he appears or whatever. Like, yeah. Are we perhaps flying a little low? Like I said, we're right on course. I'm not usually so anxious when I fly. It's just, you know, this plane's so small, I can feel every bump. Well, Cessna 402 is one of the safest aircraft in the sky today. Who told you that, the salesman? Frazier, stop being such a baby. If we crash and die, we crash and die. This is a vacation, for God's sakes. For years, didn't see uh, Cheers. I saw like the odd episode, Channel 4, like, early in the morning or whatever, but never really got into it, because it is a very different humour and style to mm. Frasier, despite having that character as a link. And Lilith as well, obviously. But I went back to Cheers recently, during lockdown, thanks to Sam Clements, 
uh, previous guest and host of the amazing 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. Great time. And he randomly literally just put on social media, like, oh, I've got season one of Cheers. <laughs> I, I've watched it. Um, it's great, so I'm buying the full series box set. So does anyone want season one? Yeah. Like, and I'll give me your details, sent you. And I literally just got in there first. I was like, mate, I'm fucking out from that. And, <laughs> and, he sent, and he sent it to me. And I watched season one, absolutely fell in love with it now, watching it again. And we, me and my wife, like, got the complete box set and literally so ripped it off. Have you put the season one on the Facebook? Yeah? Like, have you said? Uh, I, gave, I, gave, I gave it to this guy. Yeah, ah, I gave it to this guy. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you got the full set now? Oh, no. <laughs> did, Liam, <laughs> did Liam slide it across the table to you? Like, trust me. Like the uh, passing of the baton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said like keep passing it on, but no, that um, was a genuinely great lockdown comfort as well. Because yeah. it's just hanging in the bar when we literally couldn't do that shit. Yes, mm. yeah, and that was a mm. thing that was so it was really nostalgic because it, it showed you everything. <laughs> the that, pubs, remember those? Yeah, <laughs> everything that was great about hanging out with your mates in the bar. And yeah, I've watched all eleven seasons and then not only that after i finished the 11 seasons of cheers i went straight on into a rewatch of frasier and i've got to say before the episodes where cheers cast members came back yeah never really vibed for me that much because i was like oh they were perfectly fine but they didn't really have the impact they because didn't sound I, with you, yeah, yeah i didn't know those characters whereas watching them now I was like, holy shit, and I was loving them because mm. I was like, wow, I get to see Ted Danson again in that role. I get Turns to see... Frasier into episodes of The Mandalorian. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, oh, yeah. My God. <laughs> well, yeah, it made, it made uh, Cheers like the better cool Saul or like, you know, like Frasier's Breaking Bad. And uh, yeah, really, really fell in love with it. So now having seen the whole 22 season Frasier arc, <laughs> it's really amazing but Frasier uh, I think it's just one of the greatest sitcoms ever written I, I mean I genuinely do love Cheers now I think it's fucking great but I still think Frasier is even yeah. better and like you said one of the reasons it looks it's all shot on film it looks fucking great mm-hmm. like yeah. uh, it, it looked better because it's only in standard death well yeah but I mean you know they can still, they could they could, they they could. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. there's well, no special effects to worry about right <laughs> yeah so you don't have to put uh, a jar bar in the background <laughs> or whatever, like, yeah. like uh, but yeah uh, it's it's so the scripts are so witty, yeah. so sophisticated. Yes, it does have that slight dip once Daphne and Niles mm. get together, but it brings it back for the final season. Mm. And even even like substandard Frasier is still better than a lot of sitcoms. Yeah. Um, literally, it's still got a terrific run mm. of just absolute back-to-back quality where pretty much every episode is is a banger. Everything from like seasons one to five is like untouchably... Like, I mean, at its best, the scripts, you're right, those scripts are like... Yeah. At their best, they're like literature. They yeah. feel like perfect little plays like mm. perfect 25 minute mm. two-handers or three-handers mm. and, and that's what and, sitcoms can be in the yeah, best of times it, mm. it feels like an elevation of that medium in ways that other sitcoms feel like a, a series of ingredients uh or, or a stretch joke that wears thin and i'm actually quite a big apologist for those last few seasons as well like you say like mm. um yeah it takes itself a little bit more seriously uh which you know even graham himself said yeah yeah we know there was a bit of a slump but like even those last few seasons have a couple episodes that are truly some of my favorites. Like and and some where they have some almost like some balls to like not be funny. Like like to, there's the episode where Martin goes to the appeal hearing of the man who shot him, and there's not a laugh in that entire mm. section. But it's just John Mahoney mm. acting his socks off with almost no words, just just seeing him watch this guy have his appeal denied. And he never once verbalizes his feelings about it to the rest of the I've family. I've got nothing to say. 
Uh, so yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what a performance! And then like, um, I'll talk about it a little later because it's a it's a Star Trek connection. But like, uh, Rene Aubergenois, Odo from Deep Deep, Deep Space Nine is in uh, two episodes in I think season eight. And yeah, season eight. Season eight, and the first episode he's in, Fraser's Edge, is yet another one of those perfect two-hander plays. And Rene Aubergenois is exceptional as Fraser's mm. mentor. If someone had called my show with this problem, I'd have diagnosed it inside a minute. And then what would you have done? That depends on the caller. All right. The caller is you. Fine. On line one, we have Fraser Crane. From Seattle. Hello, Dr. Crane. I love your show. I'm a big fan. (laughs) I won't bore you with all the details of my life because you know them. Suffice to say, I'm a successful psychiatrist. My problem is that, in spite of the life I've built, I feel... Empty. Ah, emptiness. Uh Eternal void. If I'm not mistaken, it was John Keats who once wrote... Stalling. Deal with the feelings. All right, fair enough. Perhaps, caller, if we reframe the issue, we can... Redefining the problem. Deal with the feelings. Let's run down the Beck Depression inventory. Rediagnosing. You know what the problem is. The caller feels empty. Go on. Okay. Last month in the New England Journal. He's already read it. How do you know? The caller is Fraser Crane. If you did, he did. I can suggest certain visualization techniques. He knows them already. Look, if he knows all this, then why is he calling? He told you. Because he's empty. Keep going. Well, uh, sometimes it helps to, to write yourself a letter. He's already got himself on the phone. <laughs> but I don't know what he wants. Then why do you keep trying to bury him in psychiatric exercises? Because that's all I have. I'm sorry, caller. I can't help you. That is a really good episode. And like you say, one of the more serious episodes, yeah. but works really, really well. Like, and, you know, this is this episode is a perfect song because this is from Frasier's final season. Mm. Season 11, episode 3, The Doctor Is Out, uh, broadcast 30th September 2003. And this is an exceptional mm. episode of Frasier, written by Joe Keenan, uh, who wrote 24 episodes of Frasier. And I'm like, fucking this bloke rang. He wrote some <laughs> bangers. Number one, what's really interesting is this episode kind of follows a slight theme throughout Frasier of there's three different episodes that are actually very similar. Mm. The Matchmaker, Mm -hmm. uh, where uh, the new station manager gets the impression that Frasier is gay and actually Frasier's inviting him to meet Daphne. Yes. um, And go on a date with her. But it's one of those classic fast... A perfect mistake. Exactly. There's that episode. There's Out With Dad... Where again, there's a, a mistake made over uh, someone thinking that Martin is gay, and the kind of resulting farce in that. And then there's this episode, and they're very similar storylines where basically someone being mistaken for being gay, and then the farce that comes out of that. But they're all written by Joe Keenan, and I would say they're all 
some of the most hilarious episodes ever mm. and they're all incredibly distinct from each other despite the fact that they have similar stories yeah. so he managed to do that story like three times but every single one is a banger <laughs> like uh, but he also wrote moon dance which mm. is the one where uh, Niles learns to dance with Daphne. Often considered uh, like the best episode. Uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. The Two Mrs. Cranes, oh. which is the one where Daphne's old boyfriend uh, comes on there. And that's one of those classic fast <laughs> they all have to pretend to be different people. And they're, that's they're, so they're good. Couples. I think Roz has to pretend to be married to Niles <laughs> and stuff like that. that. That's absolutely amazing. The Ski Lodge. Which yeah. is one of the episodes you're referring to, which is a bedroom farce uh, set cool. in a ski lodge where they're basically, <laughs> yeah, they're all trying to get with, like... They, they... And it also involves a mistaken um, uh, assumption that Niles is gay. Yes, that's true, that's <laughs> true, that's true. I am not gay, gee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah. the ski lodge is a hilarious, but I mean, that is like a proper seaside end of the pier bedroom fast. Oh, like, it is hilarious. the absolute end of the spectrum along with so, the seal so who good. came to dinner. It's the yeah. other great fast. And he also wrote Dr. Nora, which is a hilarious episode <laughs> where there's a new host of one of the radio shows at his uh, radio station, uh, Dr. Nora, who's like insane right wing. Yeah. She's like Katie Hopkins. Yeah. Like a, a ultra religious kind of right wing DJ. And she's giving like the most horrific advice. Yeah. You're a whore, Jenny. Like, it's just like, yeah. the way. And oh, then, you should be sorry. You're going to hell. And that features one of my favorite ever moments where the whole thing is it's building up to a war between <laughs> Frasier and Dr. Nora. Christine Baranski, isn't it? Right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Frasier just loses at her and says, well, you know, you want a war, you've got one. <laughs> and he's like, come in, Roz, and like stalls out. But Roz really fancies uh, Dr. Nora's producer because he's like a hunky guy. But it, <laughs> oh, obviously, God, yes. Dr. Nora is preaching no sex before marriage and stuff. And Roz turns around to this hunky producer and says, like, <laughs> you don't really believe all that no sex before marriage stuff, do you? He's like, well, yeah. Well, then it's war! That is a perfect segue just for one tiny tangent. Perry Gilpin as Roz fantastic oh, character amazing. especially for a show in the 90s mm. incredibly sex positive mm-hmm. independent badass female character ends up running the radio station never ends up choosing one of the characters to be her well another uh, like now she just absolutely is never apologetic for being confident and sexual and and perry gilpin just nails yeah. that part. that sort of character in this sort of show works so well as well because again perfect foil for the type of characters that fraser and niles are an interesting factoid about the casting she and lisa kudrow went for auditions for fraser and friends at the same time and Lisa Kudrow was originally cast as Roz. So both Roz and Phoebe were going to be played by the other actor. I mean, they chose the yeah. right way They around. chose the they right chose way. They chose the right way around. It, it became apparent that Lisa Kudrow, hilarious actress, not Roz. And yeah. Perry Gilpin got in there and absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah, and to be fair to Kudrow, like Perry Gilpin, not Phoebe. Like, no, not uh, Phoebe like, by so, long You know, yeah, yeah exactly. that, that takes So this guy... We're living in the best timeline. Is, yeah. is a Frasier master writer, 100%. He really, really, he knows what he's doing. And the big Trek connection here is, of course, Sir Patrick Stewart. And this episode, I should say that Frasier, I mean, for anyone who doesn't know... Frasier is a sitcom centred around radio psychiatrist Dr. Frasier Kane, uh, who... Frasier Kane. Frasier Kane. Radio... Charles Foster Frasier Kane. Another woman with an insatiable desire for Kane. 
<laughs> oh my god. Right, okay. Uh, is a sitcom centred around radio psychiatrist Dr. Fraser Crane and his brother Niles, who he has a kind of combative relationship with, and Fraser lives with his aging father, uh, Martin, uh, and they kind of have a stepdaughter and son like relationship. Yeah. Uh, I don't need to explain stepdaughter and son. Like, if you explain. Yeah, yeah, now, <laughs> now I move on to saying stepdaughter and son. Um, but this specific episode of Frasier revolves around Alistair Burke, who's played by Sir Patrick Stewart, who's the Seattle opera conductor. Believing Frasier is gay, starts wooing him with lavish gifts and invites to high society parties. <laughs> and Frasier is basically tempted by the life uh, that <laughs> Alistair could give him, but at the same time knows that he is conflicted because mm. Alistair believes he is gay when Frasier is not. Well, he doesn't even seem to realise for the longest time that that's what's happening as well. well he he looks the other way this. because he's fundamentally superficial, right? Yes. He just loves being part of the in crowd. So is this, because I was, I was surprised when you said this episode was season 11, because I started looking it up and I thought you'd said season 3 episode 11 rather mm. than season 11 episode 3, because mm. it felt like, oh, this sounds like a, it would be a prime, you know, I imagine season three would be pretty prime. And I was like, oh shit, no, final season. So it's like, is this the first time Sir Pat Stew has been in it? Because he makes reference first to time. having... Met it's him. his only guesting. Uh, only guesting Like, it role. seems mad that it took until the 11th season to get someone like him on. It is interesting a you show like that. this. It is interesting you mention that because the other big episode my brother reminded me of before I came on this podcast is the incredible episode, The Show Must Go Off, starring Sir Derek Jacobi. Yes. Who cameos in Frasier won an Emmy for this performance it's an absolutely hysterical role it's about Frasier and Niles meet their old uh, an old Shakespearean actor that they saw when they were kids they remember him being one of the best performances they ever saw when he came to their school or something and then try to put him up on his own revival show, a one-man show, only to discover that their memory of him was entirely <laughs> rose-tinted. And in fact, he's a terrible hammy actor and realise they have to find a way to cancel the show, otherwise they'll be a <laughs> laughing stock. But Derek Jacobi's character is so completely oblivious to this, believes he's acting amazing. But it's just an incredibly funny performance from Jacobi, just yeah. eating the scenery and mugging it up like <laughs> like like only he could. What's he hilarious... Break his leg and then still yeah. drag himself And then he drags himself on <laughs> to do <laughs> Hamlet. It's like it's it's like it's absolutely I'm dying, Horatio <laughs> like it's, it's absolutely delicious. It's yeah. probably my favourite Jacoby bar other than that his was... master that shows up in Doctor Who. Okay, for like Well it's like gonna be hard minute. to yeah. be a good actor yeah. and do acting well yeah. as a guy who's acting bad. That's yeah. that's so That's actually a real that. somersault, isn't it? It's yeah. a triple yeah. backflip. Because you could say, oh, you're just yeah. that bad. It's easy, but no. But the, the big thing is, Jacoby's character, they meet him at a convention, a sci-fi convention. Yeah. And the whole point of Jacoby's character is that he plays a robot on a science fiction TV show and has therefore not been appreciated for his true craft in years. So it's obvious, in hindsight, that he is an analogue for Royal Shakespeare actor Patrick Stewart being on a long-running Paramount show Star Trek The Next Generation. So it's hilarious because there's another universe where Patrick Stewart, who was working at Paramount at the time, could have cameoed as a Royal Shakespeare actor 
essentially make well, fun yeah, of himself. Yeah, he could have yeah. played that role. He could have played that role to a yeah, T. Yeah, yeah. And Jacoby could have been the opera conductor. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I actually love it's that it's the, the other way around. Because yes. it, it, yeah. it, it's a perfect doff of the cap to that, but I just love that there, uh, there is a Star Trek also, reference even before that happens. Stuart is very handsome. Yes. And it, and it works yes. better. Mm. Like, you yeah. know. He's super charming in this episode. Super charming. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, I, I um, sent an article round to you guys mm which I found written by Natalie Parks for a website called 25 Years Later and wrote a really amazing in-depth analysis of this episode, which is well worth checking out. I'll post a link up or something, uh, which called this episode a masterpiece of queer representation. It was kind of analysing the episode, like literally, it was an article written like last year, so almost two decades on, uh, also for a modern kind of queer lens, and saying it was actually aged very well. And also, and actually, Patrick Stewart's character in it is not kind of to be lovely. He's like an aspirational figure. Like he's yeah. handsome, he's like suave, he's actually like, you know, he's incredibly successful. A truly brilliant man. Yeah, like yeah. Frasier wants to be him as much as anything. Yeah. Like kind of like that's the whole thing. So actually he is not a kind of figure of fun at all. Mm. And he's in it right from the very first scene. Um, that we get, he tells us, so he's like in all the way through, like big role in this, because we open in Cafe Nervosa, yes. the literally prime kind of location for Frasier, the coffee shop we all dreamed that we had on our corner. And literally, I mean, I've got to say, Frasier, it's that thing of, because obviously the show was on in the 90s, they were so ahead of the curve mm. in terms of certainly from where we're standing yeah. of that going to have coffee mm. somewhere, like nice coffee and everything like that, and sitting around. Like, having it's his, almost like yeah. it, that show could have created it could have could have seeded my love of going to a coffee shop yeah like, quite possibly probably did with yeah. me it was a thing that grown-ups did right? yeah it yeah. felt adult and it felt like you could have yes. scintillating conversations and yeah. witty repertoire with each other it's like it's mm. yeah 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 so much funny and never be served by the same person twice <laughs> like it's funny isn't it I never really was particularly bothered about going to like have a coffee in Central Perk mm. but I'd love to go and have a coffee in Cafe Nervosa yeah. like you know I, mean, I, I don't think of anything nice. worse than sitting on a, on a couch in a coffee shop no. having to share yeah. with someone rando and I always think Gunther's coffee looks shit like in his gigantic <laughs> mugs that swill <laughs> yeah, I always, yeah I always feel Cafe Nervosa I'm just surprised to get a table every time yeah. fair yeah. warning like, how throughout good this is it really yeah. fair <laughs> warning friends will not come out very well in this podcast compared <laughs> to Frasier <laughs> well there's an actual episode where they they kind of try. They keep trying to run to different tables. Yeah, my coffee with knives. It is my coffee with knives. They keep trying to get a table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a technical question for you know, everybody knows. Like, is Frasier filmed in front of a live yes. audience? Yes. How do they do it? Well, it's very staged Good. and proscenium. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I love Frasier because unlike other sitcoms in which it's a multi-camera show, so it's all filmed uh, with the audience behind the cameras but they get to see screens as well so they see the, the they see the performance but there's cameras that will go in and out away yeah. from there but the, um, because it's very smart and be, because it's been done so well the, the, the filmmakers know a lot about how to, to, to keep the audience like not obscured by the cameras like they've figured out their angles they can film yeah. from but uh, the sort of proscenium compositions and sort of like the the stage quality of the show works and feels more appropriately of a piece in Frasius precisely because of what you guys say about it feeling like a great farce, like a drawing room farce, mm. a comedy verse. It feels the most like it's spiritually a successor to a play than any other sitcom. Like in Friends, yeah. you're supposed to think that they're real 20-somethings, 30-somethings who live in New York, whereas in Frasier, they fully embrace the kind of 
artificiality of it because because they've a lot of the people on that stage are like Tony Award winning actors who are yeah. like John Mahoney as much as as David Hyde Pierce you know and well yeah. the quality of the acting on Frasier I think is a cut well, above it's very they can make me cry with tears of yeah. laughter and then actually cry t- tears of emotion yeah within uh, on a, it shifts on a sixpence doesn't it like when yeah. it's, it, usually when John Mahoney's involved mm. and he'll come along it'd be really funny but he'll come in mm. and sort of you know fix whatever problem is there or give the advice that kind of like gets the brothers to see it a different way and you know this problems are solved but it's amazingly how emotional the show can be at times as well as being extraordinarily funny yeah yeah and I do agree it's one of those things where it came out at the same time as Friends but if you look at it production-wise, it looks far better made. Like, in terms of, like you say, it's like, with Friends, you go, yeah, of course it's filmed in front of an audience. It looks like it is. Oh, then, whereas, right, yeah. Frasier... That's why you have to ask the question. Yeah. Because like, there's also, you know, the sets are quite, uh, you know, the radio station, and, you know, you're seeing two sides of that. Like, you've got the Ros side of the scene, and, you know, but also you often see the corridor outside Frasier's mm. apartment. There's action that takes place by the lift there. So I was just wondering, like, how do they kind of, like, move between scenes? Is it, like, on a carousel or something? I think the audience is on a slide. I think the audience can be moved from one of... The sets are all next to each other. There's that amazing clip from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. One of the episodes ends with a gag that they obviously just threw in because they thought it was funny to put into the episode, which is Carlton, um, the actor runs through each and every one of the sets clearly improvised oh, you remember when he's right. like well no and he just runs how oh, do you do that and he just like f- f- runs like a flying lizard like through <laughs> yeah. all of these different locations screaming and then it finally comes back around the other end into the audience and hugs Will Smith off camera and it's like yeah. it's just one of those things that clearly was so funny that they just thought fuck we'll put it in the credits of this yeah. episode yeah yeah, 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 yeah. so they imagine that you've got these these big sound stages you've got the audience and the audience can be moved like a ride I think I, yeah. at least oh, that's wow. how I understand wow. it. right 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 would I want the Fraser tour or the Jurassic Park tour? It's kind of run. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we begin here, and Fraser, Niles, and Martin are all in Cafe Nervosa. And Roz turns up with her new boyfriend, who Fraser and Niles instantly suspect is gay because he works out a lot. <laughs> so it's like this is it's how this is how times have changed. Like in two thousand three, yeah. it was a thing of like basically, oh, if you go to the gym, look after yourself. You must be gay. Mm. Whereas now, obviously, that's completely kind of shifted. Mm. And it's just funny how the indicators for homosexuality change over time to be like just fit whatever mm. kind of like right way around. Well, yeah, being like, like, oh yeah, you can tell he's not gay. The muscle. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And but obviously that leads to Patrick Stewart's introduction as Alistair <laughs> in the opening scene. <laughs> Alistair. And he just straight away laugh when he's just like, oh, don't tell me. No, go on, tell me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, straight away from his introduction, he's so funny, isn't he, Stuart, yeah. in this? He's on fire. He's he's charming, suave. You like him straight away, but he's so just naturally funny. Well, he just completed, you know, he successfully ended the Star Trek movie run with Nemesis, which is yeah. a massive box office hit. This is like the year uh, after <laughs> Nemesis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> he already picked up the mantle of Dr. X. Professor X. Yeah. yeah. Professor X. Same year uh, as yeah. X-Men 2. That's, yeah, which is, wow. like, was phenomenally successful. Yeah, so, like, huge. I mean, he's riding high on the fact he's got mm. two IPs under his belt now. So, yeah, he's a big catch. He's a big get for, for Fraser, mm. but they did owe him one. 
Because obviously Kells appeared in Cause and Effect episode of Star Trek Next Generation. Yes. yes, yeah, of course. This is, I mean, obviously we'll it's... go through all the different Trek connections. But of course, a big one was Kelsey Grammer, at the star of this show, was in an episode of Star Trek Next Generation, which I actually watched today, Cause and Effect, mm. uh, where the Enterprise is caught up in like a temporal causality like loop. It's a classic um, time loop episode of yes. Trek. Yes, yeah, really yeah, well yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the very end, and it really is the very, very end, because I was like, wow, this is like just a cameo. They come across the USS Bozeman, um, which is captained by Dr. Fraser Crane. Uh, <laughs> which is Captain, Captain Fraser Crane. <laughs> Captain Morgan Bateson. Open a channel. This is Captain Morgan Bateson of the Federation Starship Bozeman. Can we render assistance? I'm Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the Federation Starship Enterprise. We were just going to ask you the same thing. Captain Picard, your vessel is not familiar to us. Captain, have you any idea what has just happened? Our sensors detected a temporal distortion. Then your ship appeared. We nearly hit you. The Enterprise has been caught up in a temporal causality loop. And I suspect that something similar may have happened to you. Must be mistaken. We left Starbase only three weeks ago. Captain, do you know what year this is? Of course I do. It's 2278. Perhaps you should beam aboard our ship. There's something we need to discuss. He's in full kind of Wrath of Khan uniform regalia because yeah. the whole thing is is their ship has actually been caught for like hundreds of years, 150 yeah, yeah, years yeah, or something exactly, like that yeah. in there. So he's actually from like original series movie era. And then, yeah, it's just, it's almost kind of, the episode almost ends on a sort of cliffhanger mm. as Patrick Stewart is saying to the Kels, come aboard yeah. the Enterprise and I'll basically fill you in on what, what you've missed. Go I mean, it's almost yeah. like, uh, I, I kind of shudder to think of audiences watching, young audiences now who've been raised on Marvel being like, oh my God, credits thing! We're yeah. going to see yeah, the yeah, Kels yeah. come back and it's like the next adventure sorry no. <laughs> no, that's it that's it. That, it I mean I did one more from him in that but like yeah you know, it's just... the Bozeman is name checked later on in first contact yeah. Bozeman's in the battle against the Borg yeah. well, I think... we don't hear we don't know if the person on the radio is Kelsey Grammer it's possible it could be I don't know but yeah. like well apparently that is a voice cameo I believe yeah. apparently it might actually be a voice cameo from the Kels kind of just literally just coming in go I'm listening I mean, you'd recognise that because you'd be like it's like your Bob on one of the uh, <laughs> But it's interesting because Kelsey Grammer did that cameo a year before the first season of Frasier airs. At this point, he has yet to receive that second juice, you know, of being Mm. being on another one of the most watched TV shows Mm. in America. And completing the getting an Emmy Award for playing the same character over three shows. Yeah, and, and you like, know... There was, that's never going to happen again. There was one What's point where he was the highest paid Queens. actor in television. He yeah. did, like, as, as we mentioned, he did a guest spot playing Fraser Crane on another show. That's a sort of got an Emmy for it. Yeah. Motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was Wings, uh, which is, like, weirdly, like, the third part of the cheers of us uh, where um it's, it's the lone gunman of the <laughs> yeah it, well, it, well, it is because the one with the least kind of connections because i don't think it's got anyone the main cast and i think it's just set in kind of the same world and very there's an episode with fraser and i think lilith and then there's an episode where you see like norm turn up from cheers i think there's a few little references here and there and stuff like that 
Uh, but it is a, is a random one. Of the like wings, a so. out there, which we are not yet. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's good because it's, you know, it's from the Frasier team. So I'm sure it's great, but yeah. I've just never, never seen it myself. But I do want to see the Frasier episode just for kind of completion. Yeah. So, but yeah, so they suspect that Roz's new boyfriend is gay and they can't end up turning detective. And yeah. Kind of basically. Think, to unmask him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think <laughs> to out him. They think they're following him into this gay bar. But actually... Why are they so in? Intent on because it's like they don't want Rod being hurt. Yeah, I think, okay. I think it, there's like there's a narrative link here to like um, uh, Fraser and Rod's relationship where I think he's a little bit protective over her. Yeah. Right. Um, yes. Uh, Earlier development in the season or, or the end of last season. I well, think. yeah. By this point, they have slept together. Yeah. Once. Like it's a one-off thing. Yeah. You know, you were saying about Ros being a great character, especially for the nineties as well. Mm. Like, I think it's great that even by the last series, they haven't buckled and like given her a long. time No, she hasn't settled thing. down with him. She's no. she's she's actually had a child she's and become a single mother, but really mm. crushes it as a single mother and doesn't need another person to define her by the end of the show. Yeah. Does, does she even get together with anyone by the very end? No, like, no she by, doesn't, does she? Her final moment is she becomes the head of the radio station yes and that's yeah. the perfect way yeah. for her to end like career woman all the way fucking girl boss before there was a thing really. yeah yeah completely i mean she's fantastic i mean even the funny thing with fraser is obviously fraser and niles make loads of like slut shaming gags yes. towards Roz. Mm. but you know what i always end up giving it a pass because she gives them back both barrels and well, usually yeah, comes out not, on top yeah well, exactly it, the reason why it has outlasted friends in terms of like problematic material is precisely that it doesn't punch down and there are certain bits in this episode that uh, are like a little dated by this point like just this is well before the gender binary has been done away with so you know these days you watch and you're like well maybe he does like men what of it like you know there's no reason why he couldn't also be in a relationship with Roz you know what I mean like like there's literally a bunch of reasons why why Fraser and Niles are being ridiculous and then are there are a few bits of the episode that like are a little bit problematic for me like Martin's obvious discomfort with the idea that Fraser is considered to be gay mm. is like yeah. played for laughs and and just the just the general idea that the assertion that either Ross's boyfriend or Fraser being gay is considered like an embarrassing thing that, yeah. that must be exposed well, that's, or that's what this debunked big, that's yeah. what this big article highlights doesn't yeah. it where it says yeah. like with that that's kind of representing that sort of yeah. internalised homophobia that we all kind of recognise in yeah. some families of going oh as long as it's not my family then it's cool yeah. Yeah. and it's like okay but this article does also mm. say you know that this mm. episode's humour especially yeah. is that none of the jokes are at Alistair's no. expense yeah. um, it's More all about yeah, the brother's ignorance and missteps being the source. Yeah, and um, we mentioned the matchmaker. The matchmaker, I think, is probably in my heart the superior episode um, in terms of its writing. It's the second season. It was the first episode in the second season that really truly locked me into the show. I just mm. thought it was hysterical. The boss who who believes him to be gay is so charming in that episode, mm. and it doesn't punch down at all because once the as with this episode, once the misunderstanding is cleared up, the boss is so graceful and sweet about it and there's no harm no foul that makes all the difference to something because like you know bygones has go has gone to great lengths to talk about the problematic treatment of uh, gender non-binary people uh in 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 90s shows and homosexuality in general queerness um there's nothing in fraser that's like yeah fraser has a few jokes about whether or not he was at one time a woman or something like some some basic ignorance about trans people from the 90s works into some of like there's the bit where he says i am not a man who will accept a lack of integrity but then it cuts out before he finishes so all the audience oh, on, yeah, in seattle funny. here is i am not a man and then <laughs> yeah. it just cuts off and like there are a few jokes like that which is just clear that it's of its time but there's nothing on the level of like channel being 
consistently and never mm. correctly no gendering parent. his mm. his uh, other mother, his trans mother. Like th- th- there's nothing like that that is just beyond pale in the same mean-spirited way that friends would other people uh, who mm. didn't conform to some gender binary. Like it's a pretty apolitical show. You can have characters who are conservative, like Marty, and you can have characters who are fiercely liberal, like Fraser and Niles, but all are worthy of ridicule, yeah. especially when their hypocrisy is pointed out. I think that's the key bit here yeah. is the hypocrisy. The hypocrisy. It? Because you have Fraser, like, you know, thinking he's doing the right thing. Mm. You know, he thinks he knows best in terms mm. of, like, he's going to be do- getting involved. Yeah. But it's all based on, like, his stereotype. He's stereotyping yeah. people. Yeah. He's, like, you know, resorting to the worst imp- impulses of, like, stereotyping, and it's kind of mm. leading down this path, which blows up in his face. Yeah. And because he's made the fun of, that's how we can get away with a lot of the jokes that... Mm. Kind of maybe a little bit of color, you know, the way he's he calls like um, Gil, like you, you big, you big queen, queen yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's kind of like it works because like Fraser is everything he's doing in his body language is demeaning. It's kind of also a stereotype. Yes, yeah. 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 he doesn't realize it's he himself, doesn't realize how yeah. he's coding himself. Like yeah, you know, and so that's just that's kind of how it plays so beautifully. And then yeah, just, just, I mean yeah. Fraser's visit to the gay bar is, is <laughs> absolutely yeah. yeah. is like, and I think that article makes it like this is where Kelsey Grammer almost outshines David Hyde Pierce in mm. the physical comedy stage yeah. where he starts to dance almost as soon as the movie in the ridiculous well, something's happened pants. to his shorts yeah. hasn't yeah. it he had to borrow <laughs> someone else's yeah. really small he's shorts wearing insanely yeah. Yeah. tight shorts for they've been at the gym yeah. and that's when they yeah. spot who they think they think it's Rosie's boyfriend going into this gay bar I'm looking for yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm looking for a man <laughs> going into the gay bar from cruising yeah. first day yeah. is 11 night um, and they go in there and, well Fraser goes in on his own yeah. Excuse me, uh, I'm looking for a guy. Yeah, I kind of got that from the shorts. It's a particular guy. He's about 35 years old. Frazier? Eduardo! <laughs> My furniture polisher. Don't tell me you put away paste and shabby for life as a barkeep. I just do this on the side. Oh, well, but you're surprised to see me in here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And it all builds up this yeah. amazing crescendo where Niles finally comes in. Yeah. And then the music's too loud. Yeah. Ranger, Perry's not here. I just saw him. What? Perry's not here. Let's go. No, he's in the bathroom. No, he's not. Can we just go, please? What did you say? That thing's expecting me. Let's go. Come again. I'm begging you, please take me home. <laughs> And we've got to always remember that this is a show where obviously two of the biggest actors in the show, David Hypeus and John Mahoney, were gay men. And so just knowing that that's a show that those two actors absolutely had a ball playing uh, along Mm. with these scripts. And there are often jokes both in The Matchmaker and this episode where a lot of jokes are at the expense of like, Niles, really? You're not gay? Because yeah, David Hypeus yeah, yeah. is so completely coded. It, like, they don't get him to change a whiff of his personality in terms of how well, he, um, how he presents. Well, yeah. after the show ended. 2007. Really? Yeah. So oh, that was, really? I remember, like, kind of, like, being not surprised, yeah. but also just, like, that sort of him playing straight person throughout. Yeah. Like, I wonder, like, you know, how some of those kind of, like, yeah. gay episodes would play now that, you knowing that perhaps he mm. was having to keep mum about how he felt about delivering some of those lines, yeah. you know? Because mm-hmm. there, there's one that kind of made me wince about, you know, where he's just like, you know, you look after me like a big sister should. Mm. And, <laughs> and I, you know, I just felt like perhaps he, that was one joke too far because the other mm. two jokes he played before it, mm. it was like, it was the capper mm. where he went yeah. one too far. Mm. The first two really played, but that one was just like, ugh. He but, thinks I'm gay and I'm stood next to my pregnant wife. Yeah, what a, yeah, I mean, the yeah. best Patrick Stewart delivery in this whole episode is when Niles introduces Daphne and goes, this is my wife. And Patrick Stewart goes, 
No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Expecting. I wasn't. I wasn't. But I forgot the story of this episode. The crux of it actually comes out of Fraser being publicly outed mm, yeah. as gay and that kind of being basically the impetus for the story because I was like oh is this just another confusion thing whereas it just assumes he's gay because like we say Frasier is kind of weirdly kind of coded mm. in that kind of gay world without realising it yeah. um, but it isn't it is that actually he is genuinely kind of led to believe by the story that kind of comes mm. out that he is gay so he completely you understand why he would think that Frasier oh Alistair so sorry to hear about your ordeal today you heard my show then no I heard the replay on Kiki and Mel's drive time circus <laughs> If it's any comfort, I went through the same thing myself once. Really? Yes, I was a guest on a call-in mm-hmm. show, and an angry ex-boyfriend phoned in. Everything came out. Names, dates, birthmarks. <laughs> Had quite a chat with the wife that night. Very frank. Oh. Very expensive. Oh. How awful for you. Of course, in my case... I know what might rally your spirits. I'm giving a small party after the premiere of my opera next week. Are you free to come? I'd be delighted. Splendid. Well, I must get to rehearsals. Oh, how are things coming? You can tag along, see for yourself if you like. I would love that. Let me just grab my coffee. Goodbye, Dad. Niles. Another reason why it like it as well is like Frasier on being outed is immediately supported by the two gay men in the episode. You know, yes. Gil in yeah. his own way that tries to talk about his experience and just like you know really welcomes him almost in and then and so does Patrick Stewart kind of relay his outing story, which is brilliant mm. bit of writing, isn't it? You know, uh, talking about queer coding of characters, this is the first time we get confirmation that Gil is gay. Yes, like in terms of like because he has been kind of closeted and that's been part yeah, of the running gag. It's always been coded. This is the episode because literally, obviously, the post tiles is seeing Gil sneak into the game. Oh, into the game, yeah, yeah. Because I was watching that again. I was like, oh, that's not a surprise. But of course, like, yeah, it is the, a surprise in terms of the whole show. I, I mean, that. it's yeah, interesting yeah. how bold the series was for its time. Obviously, but some of the episodes still really stand out to me, like the episode early in the show's run where Fraser dreams sexual dreams involving Gil. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's actually weirdly a very positive episode for me because even though Fraser is sort of mildly mortified that he's imagining himself in a, a bedroom situation with another man, it's kind of the show acknowledging that like, hey, maybe maybe Fraser exists upon some kind of continuum that it's not a big deal. Mm. That sometimes straight men or men who think they're straight can have uh dreams or fantasies and they're constantly trying to find Freudian reasons for it. But as a piece of like television is actually quite an interesting one yeah and i actually am gonna come out and say it like gill's amazing i love gill he's like a hilarious character the scene in um uh, ham radio the spinnies romping (laughs) through the fields and spinnies and then just being constantly killed off by fraser in the radio play and so died the last (laughs) I'm the ice cream man. I was a friend of... <laughs> I think that was his finest moment. And Nigel Fairservice lay mortally wounded. I'm dying. Poor man was gone. Never again to revisit the scene of my boyhood in Surrey. Rumping <laughs> with my school chums and the fins and spinnies. Just then, the lights went out again. Nigel Fairservice was shot again. Only graze me <laughs> when the twilight bathed the hedgerows like a lambert. The final bullet. 
blew his head clean off his shoulders. <laughs> All right, people, let's try to keep calm, although it's hard when the killer is among us. Hi-ho, I'm Lido's brother, Cedric. I haven't seen him since our boyhood. We bump... And so died the last surviving member of the first of his family. Hello, I'm the ice cream man. Years ago, I went to school with Nigel Fairservice. We used to romp in the fins and spinnies. I, and I would say Ham Radio is one of my top five. Oh, yeah, Ham Radio. Phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. Ham Radio and Side by Side with it, mm. a very similar episode, which is the one where Frazier gets to write his own theme tune. Yeah! Like, yeah, those two are both fair. They're quite similar episode with uh, that. Of just Frazier getting yeah. really hysterical with like this massive Being production. Drunk with pa- yes, yeah, but yeah. If, if less is more, imagine how much more more would be. <laughs> 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 it's, a, it's, a test, it's a testament to this show that I can't decide my top five of favorite yeah. episodes. Every episode you yeah. guys have mentioned, I'm just I will write put a bunch of notes guys. at the moment yeah, yeah. that I hear it. Yeah. Oh my god! Oh my oh, god! So good. Uh, amazing. So yeah, Alistair ends up descending on Fraser's flat, uh, as we say, and actually finding out that Niles is not gay, but still believing that Fraser is. And this is when, yeah, they seem to. Uh, get into a situation where <laughs> Alistair believes that him and Frasier are now together mm-hmm. and seeing each other, but mostly because Frasier is not telling him otherwise. Yeah. Well, I, think, um, I think my other favourite piece due delivery is in this bit where it's just like, oh, I love your apartment. The view, amazing. The art, immaculate. The chair, hilarious. hilarious. <laughs> uh, particularly funny because this is one of the Star Trek connections. Ooh, the fabric. The chair? The fabric of Ooh. Martin's chair was made from leftovers of fabric used on Star Trek, the original series. Incredible. Oh. Literally. So so almost, I was like, that bit where he comments on the chat, I was like, is that mm. a deliberate like reference? Marty. Because they've got the captain of, of the Star Trek Enterprise going, like the chair, they're actually commenting on it because he's you know, sitting yeah. on a piece of Star Trek history. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, obviously, yeah. That's, that's what happens when both shows are made by Paramount. I, you know, I, obviously, there's some materials going to get reused. Got some know. scraps. I think, yeah. you know, this is one of those shows where I just wish you could kind of like pick something to take, you know, at the end of the show, oh, yeah. like taking, like, Martin's chair, for example. There are so many iconic pieces in this. In this yeah. Show, oh, in yeah. Well, you just want Fraser's apartment, don't yeah, you? Yeah. For the longest it. time, I wanted Fraser's apartment. I mean, right. I was ridiculously all in on Fraser's own vanity lifestyle for when I was a younger kid. That's what I thought I wanted. I wanted to be Fraser so bad. Yeah. It's eclectic, exactly. I wanted the Coco Chanel painting couch. That's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, that is the great question of Fraser's basically how does he afford that apartment? Hmm. Like, it turns out you look. One word. BB. Yeah, well, exactly. BB getting him the pay rises. He's got the fucking devil working for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I just love this alternate universe where radio show hosts for like local radio. Local radio! Massive celebrities in their city. Yeah, like Alex Jones does not live in that kind of house. No, And it's like Seattle is, I mean, no disrespect to fucking Seattle, but it's not like Manhattan, is it? It's not like, you know, New York. Or everything like that in terms of I'm like so right a local Sierra I mean I'd love to see the actual specs of how much like the top radio DJ <laughs> what in Seattle earns yeah. like you know because literally Frasier's apartment just boggles my mind of how <laughs> nice it is and also the fact that it's so vast like you're always discovering new rooms and new sections to it but obviously Daphne's got her own like fucking hallway down there 
That used to be a study, I think. That's like the whole point is he used to have a, a study. Yes, yeah, study. he's had to give it up. Yeah. He's got his giant bathroom and yeah. everything like that. Yeah, he's mad. And he's got, I swear he's got like a separate main bathroom and then another he's toilet. Got the, the, he's got like a water closet near the yeah. door. Which yeah. Is yeah, Where Niles gets covered in the hot and foamy when it explodes in that one episode. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely it's crazy. It's weird how it also logically doesn't really work outside of it being a sitcom place because mm. it's like you have this massive main space and then just this weird diagonal wall, invisible yeah. wall, which is which we see through, and it's what, like, what would that? What beyond that? It's just the TV. Apparently, they only like designed it. the other rooms you see whenever the script called for it. So, so it's adding like the to real it, main like, set was just the set you see mm. for most of the episodes in the living room, right, the right, right, and then everything else was like if, as, and when. Yeah, and so this episode all builds up to basically this big high society ball that uh, Frasier has been Long invited to. Show, the yeah. end of the opera yeah. season. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's produced it and uh, you know, one of the funny things is sort of commenting whether like, yeah, how far, well, you know, Alistair says about Frasier's cooking, like, you know, is there anything this man can't do? And like, that was like, I will tell. How far will he take this? Because it, it, it transpires that Patrick Stewart like always puts his 100% into every play he does that uh, means no sex, no nothing. You know, stay <laughs> like you know about that, don't you, darling? Uh, you know, my poor dear patient Frazier. So I mean, the, the, I started to get lost track of how many amazing lines <laughs> in this finale because it's like the whole thing is is now. Frasier has been properly instilled as mm. Alistair's like boyfriend to everyone. Like yeah. everyone's like he is Alistair's boyfriend, and Frasier's still not correcting it because he he genuinely is he loves torn. loving he loves that life. Yeah, he's yeah. like I've always been part of our couple. Yeah, he, he gets you know the chair on the opera board, which has been given up by this old yes. man. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I give it to Frasier yeah. Plain, a patron of the arts here in Seattle, and Frasier's excited. He's just like you know put yeah. it on there. And um, yeah, so it's like, uh, and then I was another great quip where he says, you know, we'll be the only chair being given up this evening. <laughs> yeah. I know, I mean, that's pretty risque for the time. Yeah. Like, yeah. But also right down to Fraser and Niles' constant rivalry, like Martin gets another great guy. He's like, yeah, so one of my sons is dating a guy and the other son is jealous. Well, because yeah. Niles is jealous. Because even yeah, though Niles makes barbs. Hey, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, even though Niles makes barbs towards Fraser to make himself feel better, he is actually jealous of the high society life yeah. that Fraser is getting to the end. Yeah, that line that you say it's like all my life I've dreamed of being one half of a power couple and now I finally am is it perfect no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, I, uh, and I think the, the, the absolute capper I think Kelsey Grammer's best moment in the, in the episode <laughs> is when he does confess to mm. uh, to uh, Alistair that he's not gay listen I, I I'm afraid I have to tell you something uh, I'm not gay Oh, Fraser, please don't tell me you're still struggling with those issues. No, I, I like you so much, and I love our friendship. But I'm afraid I can never really be more than friends. Would three weeks on Capri in Bertolucci's villa change your mind? <laughs> it's worth a try. But... <laughs> no. It, it wouldn't. I'm sorry. Well, then, I'm so sorry. So am I.
And to be fair, what I like is Alistair is incredibly gracious about mm. the whole thing. Mm. And he's really... And they actually end as friends. Like, yeah, yeah, it, isn't, yeah. it isn't horrible or anything. There's no recrimination. There's no anger. Yeah. It's very well, That's much, what this yeah. article points out again. It says, you know, this then scene is played like a mutual breakup more than a gay freakout. You know, yeah. it's like once the penny finally drops and, you know, Frazier realises he has to come clean, it's not like he's acting all like, oh, no, I can't do this. It's... You know, he offers to stay to the end as well. And yeah, the amazing yeah. camera. He's like, yeah. naked hot tub time, baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And normally and simmers down around 3 a.m. <laughs> but I haven't got a swimsuit. Well, you're fit. <laughs> and it's, it's exactly the reason I love this and the matchmaker both end with such a sweet moment of acceptance on both sides of like, this was just a misunderstanding. And, yeah. and it doesn't mean that there's any shame to be had on either side. Mm. But it also speaks to what you guys so rightly said about like Frasier's like elitism is the real joke, which is the um, the big hypocrisy of Fraser's liberal sort of like bleeding heart kind of sensibilities is how much he deep down wants to be a member of the aristocracy. Like he's mm. he, him and Niles. There's an episode towards the end. Is it Asar is born or something? It's when Fraser and Niles suspect because of an heirloom of Marty's that they are descended from French royalty. And just how quickly both of these liberals want to believe that they are... <laughs> monarchs basically like heirs to thrones and there's like they're, they're talking about oh yeah so the history of this this thing is it was snuck out of russia by a scullery maid who stole it and it's like ah oh. and fraser's just like there's a back just aching for the lash <laughs> they're so ready to be like fuck you guys i mean that's why bb is such a brilliant character she appeals to a son <laughs> so the whole JFK discovered the scullery like is their yeah, ancestor so he was like no no you don't understand it was this you are descended from the scullery like, and they realised oh okay okay uh, so I guess, I guess we were the vermin who stole this person's heirloom but it's like it, it's hilarious because they, they, they want so badly to be special yeah, and that yeah, is yeah. what is like you know for even wanting to be psychiatrists is because their mother was a psychiatrist and it's why they have always had a problem with Marty and Marty's always had a problem with them because they've always wanted to be <laughs> it's the best joke in that it's such a great joke but like I love I love Fraser's hypocrisy because it makes him the butt of the joke and doesn't punch down Fraser will always be the most ridiculous person oh, yeah. in the show and that saves it from being problematic in so many instances uh, I fucking love it I have to share my favourite Fraser gag now which please is, do which is the episode where he's dating a supermodel yes Nobody believes oh, him. Oh, incredible, and yeah. Yeah, they're just like, you know, you're making it up. Yeah. Everybody just like, you know, you've got no proof. And eventually, he takes to getting a camera in, you know, while yeah. she's sleeping, trying to get a picture of her sleeping in his apartment. And the flash goes off, wakes her up. She's like, what are you doing? And he's like, he's trying to explain. She's just like, that's disgusting. How could you believe? How could you do that to me? Storms out. And that's at the same point. She's just dressing in the, in you know, by his piano, about to leave the apartment. Yeah. All his family come in. They see her. She's the model. And she just lets him out. She says, you're this despicable, loathsome, low creature I've ever met. And storms out on the door. And like Frazier just turns him, does up his dressing gown. Goes, what do you think of me now? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Frasier's imaginary so friend, the season five premiere, amazing oh, and episode. Ha so good. Has one of the best Frasier gifts of all time, or gifs is him going, "I am not crazy." <laughs> so yeah, oh, yeah, because they are all treat him like he's mad. Yes, like, like uh, he's yeah. like, yes, yes, we all love you, Niles, Daphne, me, Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> <laughs> he used to believe me, Leonard Bernstein was his imaginary friend. 
Oh man, it just, yeah, it, incredible, incredible stuff. I was going to go through the other Star Trek connections mm. um, with Frasier. Obviously, we've well, mentioned we, we've, quite we've a few. We've got Peace You and the Chair so far. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and we've got. Uh, uh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Terrific. Also, Brent Spiner yes. uh, appeared in episode season 10, Lilith Needs a Favor, where he's sitting next to Lilith on a plane. She recounts her story to him, the, the episode is told in flashback structure. And it's heavily hinted at the end of the episode that they might actually start a relationship. Mm. But when Lilith does return in season 11, there's no mention of him. So obviously that didn't go anywhere with Daytoid. It did feel like a bit of a meta casting as well. Like Speaking of meta Star Trek castings, the fact that Lilith has always been the most Vulcan or Android-like character, like a very Spock-like presence, doesn't emote very much, but yet has a lot of emotion under the surface, like B.B. Newworth's incredible as that character, yeah. both in Shears and Frasier. And so the idea that she ends up, at least for a time, or intimated that she has a relationship with Data at the end, he's kind of like the perfect meta-casting to go toe-to-toe with her romantically. You, you don't have to see that relationship to feel like that feels appropriate. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, Anthony Montgomery, who played Travis in Star Trek Enterprise, he's one of the main cast in yeah. uh, Enterprise, he pops up as like literally like a walk-on role as a waiter in the season seven finale. And of course, the character of Noel, who works at the radio station yes. with Frasier, is a massive Star Trek fan. Yes. Is always referencing Star Trek um, throughout the series, but particularly in the episode Star Mitzvah, yes. uh, where he falls Frasier into reading Freddy, his son's uh, bat mitzvah speech in Klingon yes. after failing to getting Scott Bakula's autograph uh, for him. <laughs> so he does that as punishment. We will conclude with a blessing from Frederick's father, Frasier, who, though not of our faith, has chosen to follow his son's fine example and deliver it in Hebrew. Thank you. Keep this short. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Poor Ark. <laughs> Lord Willekoo. Hak Jaj Shokoav Moach. Language Law or Ted. Judge language, vod bel rat. Shove da nobe po o boa. Shabbat shalom. Oh, that was lovely. What was that gobbledygook? Well, it's, it, it's a blessing for my son, po ark lord weleko. That means nothing, it's gibberish. What? That's not gibberish, it's Klingon. Infinitely funnier now that I have dated a Jewish woman for 10 years and have been to a bar mitzvah. Mm-hmm. And did you read funnier. a speech? In no, but, I, but, but actually, interesting fact, I've mentioned it in our first episode together, Morality of Trek. Yeah. Xander did cite Spock as one of his great philosophical influences during his bar mitzvah. Well, there so go. there's another one of my Trek connections. But but um, the funny thing about that episode, it's a great example of how the show is not mean-spirited because he is the he is the butt of a lot of Trekky jokes. Uh, William Shatner has a restraining order against him, which is why he can't go to the convention to get Scott back in the sort of um, He's constantly fantasizing about Roz, writing fan fiction about her as like a, a four-breasted alien woman. He's basically a man 
massive nerd stereotype and mostly about the jokes. But he gets moments where he's genuinely the victor in some of his exchanges. That episode has one of my all-time favourite lines of Frasier, and probably one of my all-time favourite lines that involves Star Trek, and I say it to people when I'm talking about Star Trek, which is when Frasier's trying to, like, Noel's like, no, you made an agreement and you welshed on it. Why'd you do it, Dr. Wade? <laughs> and, and, and Frasier's like, look, I'm, I'm really sorry. It wasn't intentional, but no, please. It's just a television show. And Noel looks at him and just says, so was Brideshead revisited. And Frasier looks at him and goes, you're angry. So I'm going to ignore that. <laughs> he literally like pisses Frasier off, and I love yeah, that because yeah, Noel's right. Brideshead Revisited is no better than Star <laughs> Trek, and Star Trek, I would argue, is probably meant more to more people. Well, I think it's just showing, isn't it, that everyone's got their sacred cow. And like Ros and all these other, he returns the ball more often than not. He's a likable character. We still love him. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. He is creepy as fuck. But he is creepy as fuck. But I love the actor. But he, yeah. the actor is very fun. Hello, Ros. <laughs> and, and he does get Roz does give him a kiss when she finally becomes head of the radio station in the final episode she does because she kisses yeah. everybody else and is like oh what the fuck and then he's like was it worth the wait Roz <laughs> oh no 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 Kelsey Grammer asks him was it worth the wait and he goes yes your question Roz <laughs> <laughs> and of course a big Star Trek connection is that in the documentary Star Trek 30 Years and Beyond hosted by Ted Danson, star of Cheers, mm. uh, there is a skit set on the Star Trek Voyager with Kate Mulgrew reprising her role as Janeway, but her entire crew is now the ensemble cast of Frasier, sans the Kels. Yeah, so really we've weird. got Roz, Daphne, Martin, Niles, and even Eddie, yeah. who beams aboard with a Klingon <laughs> at one point, in this kind of mad sketch. It's very, very odd. Excuse me, Captain. Uh Members of my species are a bit telepathic. Perhaps I can use my powers to communicate with the alien vessel. Lieutenant, you're not from another planet. You're from England, aren't you? Shh, shh, quiet. I'm getting something. It's coming through strong now. They want to attack. No, 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 no. It's, it's not an attack. It's, it's more of a desire to embrace. No. Hold on. Captain, I believe they want to breed with us. Wait a minute. This isn't coming from out there, it's coming from in... Well, that was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm sure the captain has another plan she'd like to try. Oh, why don't you fire a photon torpedo at him? What if they're a friendly ship? Well, then it'll be easier, they won't shoot back. Oh. Captain, I'm reading an energy source from the alien vessel. It's a transporter beam. We're being boarded. Red alert. Oh, loud noise! Headache! Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, I've watched that, it was awful. Yeah, and it's not very good. Daphne being more like the, the beta zoid, yeah. because she's a bit telepathic. Yeah, it's a, I'm a little bit psychic. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. David Hyde Pierce can make anything funny, so he's like, he comes off the best in that sketch, but it, you're right, it is truly strange. Yeah. To watch, especially because Kelsey Graham is not there. Yeah, and he's the biggest Trekkie of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah. is. He is actual fan. Isn't he's he? the yeah. connection. Yeah, that's right. he's the Bozeman yeah. captain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in massive, that he did that because he's a massive Trekkie fan. And yeah, he, oh, nice. I think he loved that episode of the you know the Klingon Bonnets for like bit as well. Mm. And I'm going to tell you what Patrick Stewart was doing as well as this episode in 2003. One of which actually connects back to this. It's quite an interesting tie-in. Uh, so obviously we've already mentioned X-Men 2, massive uh, movie 
for Peace Jew, obviously that that was pretty huge. The fact that he kind of pretty much, I mean, he actually crossed over because, of course, X Men was two thousands, and he was still playing Picard at that time. So yeah, and we get huge. Kelsey showing up in X Men: The Last Stand. Yes, yes, we, we yeah, do, right. we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, he also revoiced uh, Picard in Star Trek Elite Force Two, the video game, and he played Henry the Second in a TV movie, Lionheart playing opposite Glenn Close as Eleanor of Aquitaine. And this is an adaptation of The Lion Winter, mm. previously adapted mm. in 1968, uh, as a film starring Pete O'Toole, Catherine, Catherine Hepburn, and Annie Hopkins. And Jimmy Dawn. Yeah, and of course, mm. in this episode, at one point, when they mention about the uh, party that they're going to later, Daphne says to Alistair, will Peter O'Toole oh, be there? And that. Alistair says... No, and he knows why. Like, <laughs> yeah, so I was like, oh wow, it all comes back it together. Actually, it actually is so beautiful because, um, I'm sorry, I've, I, I, you met the guest I met Patrick Stewart as well, I'm afraid. Um, I saw him with Ian McKellen on the West End in Waiting for Godot, and I saw him in a masterclass talking. I went with Greg Locke, other guest of this pod, because uh, Greg actually managed to ask him a question about being on Star Trek. And I was like, actually having, I, I had at the time been dating an actor, an acting student. And so I knew having gone to these masterclasses before, acting students are all there and they hate when someone who wants to ask somebody, a, a Shakespeare trained actor, yeah. something sort of seemingly like not bright head revisity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like mm. so, something that's a bit more populist and 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 uh, gauche. Uh, gauche. <laughs> and so so I was like, Greg, just so you know, you probably shouldn't ask him a question about Jean-Luc Picard, uh, because everyone else is <laughs> is gonna give you stink eye in that auditorium. Well, and Greg was guys. like Greg was such a, a fucking boss because he was like, No, because I've got a strategy. He was like, I'm gonna find a way to get him to talk about it. I'm gonna ask him a question that doesn't mention Star Trek. And so we were so I his his hand came up. In fact, I pointed at Greg's hand because I wanted to fucking hear what he what his question was. I was so curious. Yeah. And Patrick Schuden was like, yes, yes, yes. And 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 Greg yeah. was like, so how is preparing for a role on stage for like a long-term production like Waiting for Godot compared to preparing for a, a, a role you play over many years? Like say on in a television show, <laughs> and it was like, and then, and, and then dead silence in the auditorium. Everyone in the room is like on edge, and Patrick Stewart just says, hmm. "Well, you know, I portrayed Captain Jean Luc Picard <laughs> of the Starship Enterprise for seven seasons in Star Trek: The Next Generation," and and like I felt Greg just like in euphoria, like, and he talked for like twenty <sighs> minutes yeah. about how much fun he had being Picard on Star Trek and everyone yeah. else in the room was like oh, okay I guess we're gonna listen to this but like all these like theatre people who were like no but we believe in the craft we want to talk to him about about Waiting for Godot um, Greg was just on cloud nine and yeah. there was even a bit at the end he where he was like nine. he was like oh, but, but I, I had I had so much fun and then he paused and he went <laughs> like he like laughed to himself about how much fun it was and I was like oh my there god that's so great one other kind of like thing he brought up there like you know you saw him with Ian McKellen I was wondering that in preparation for this did he kind of seek the blessing <clears throat> of Ian McKellen like mm. and just say you know I'm playing an out gay man like do you well, mind if I use having, a bit of you on this like, having obviously a very documented internet romance with McKellen yeah. right I don't think Patrick Stewart's a pigeonholed person I think he, he he's a real lovey a man of the stage and so I actually think his role as Alistair, even though Patrick Stewart is, is not gay, um, is probably the closest to Patrick Stewart's real life persona 
that he's ever gone. He mm-hmm. like Patrick Stewart just seems like a guy. Well, for all this time, I thought yeah. he was gay because no, of his friendship. He, with yeah, he does code quite quite a way from the masculine stereotype, um, even though he is uh, uh, rising flute. <laughs> <laughs> but like exactly, like he's he he comes across like a guy who's just having a ball and totally open minded and very much not in a box, and that's beautiful. And in fact, I mean, you know, just to just to bring up back full circle to the episode like my th- my final thought on that episode there's so much in that episode to love not least you know Patrick Stewart kisses Kelsey Grammer on the lips and in the 90s that was like a big deal there's like a massive mm. gasp in the audience when it happens and it's mm-hmm. kind of a comedy moment because it's the moment that blindsides Frasier for the first time yeah. but that's it's, really cool. That yeah. didn't happen in any of the other episodes that, that were written, uh, which yeah. play with that theme. And again, and, Frasier yeah. doesn't treat it as being no. like, oh, yucky. It's you more know, like, this is awkward sure. because I don't feel that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Paul, final thoughts on this episode? It was a real bright spark towards the end of this run. I think it was it was so much fun when I watched it on the train. I think I'll probably annoy people by laughing. <laughs> but like, and I know it's one of my wife's favourites as well. She's watched it so many times and we watched it again the other night and we were laughing along with it again. It just has such freshness to it. Like, you know, it doesn't, it has such rewatchability. You just go along with it, don't you? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I literally did a full, like I say, a full Frasier rewatch yeah. like last year. And I watched this episode again, like last night. And I literally watched this a couple of months ago and it was completely fresh once yeah. again, going, mm. you know, just, and I must see it so many times. And it was just as hilarious as it was the first time Eminently I saw it. Eminently rewatchable. Yeah. yeah. Just incredible. I love this show. Yeah. Amazing. Matt? Yeah. Well, you guys have been the absolute scholars on this and I've been sat here also as, a, as an audience member going like, oh, taking lots of <laughs> mental notes on episodes. But yeah, I've always loved it. And this has been, this has been a great, a really great episode. I think mm. the way... In, in pure sitcom structure form, the way everything ties in, all the different plot elements and stuff, and all the different mm. characters and things. But it's great, and I think this is a real shining beacon of a guest star as well. Like, you know, yeah. not only the fact that it is Sir Patrick Stewart, but this, this character's great as well. I'm almost disappointed he doesn't show up more. But he's utilised perfectly. His, his role in it, and his gag hit rate, mm. and, and the way he bounces off of everybody here. It's really good. So, yeah, there's definitely a few I want to so, cover. So, in. Are you gonna like how much of Frasier have you watched? I mean, I it's one of those ones where it's like I could not tell you which yeah. ones from which seasons, but it must be like a third at least. The maybe, thing I love from... about this conversation, other than just the joy of getting to relive a bunch of this stuff with you guys, because I, I just I can't remember the last time I laughed so hard remembering Frasier. It's such <laughs> a joy. So thank you for that. But like the other thing that I love about Frasier, it's a testament to this show that we haven't even covered a lot of what's amazing about it. We haven't even talked yeah. about Maris, haven't talked about Jane Leaves, mm-hmm. we haven't talked about um, all of the Cheers cameos, we haven't talked about Bulldog. so many different great episodes. Oh, Bulldog, yeah. Like that Bulldog, Briscoe, oh my God, such a, just a murderer's row of comedic talent and great writing. Stop all this. the way through. It's <laughs> the episode where Bulldog falls in love and has his heart broken. And Kelsey Grammer has to talk to him like a guy. And so he just like, after trying every like psychiatrist trick in the book, he ends up having to go, Scrawl! You know what I do? She's trash! <laughs> Literally, yeah. Um, uh, it's so fun. But like, there's so much to enjoy yeah. that we haven't even covered. Yeah. That's what's brilliant yeah. about the show. If anyone out there wants to, to, to see what we're talking about here, it's just it's the pain an absolute, of, just dive right in. It's, it's the an pain, absolute gift package of a show. It's the pain of having an episode of Spotlight to go deep on one episode of the show and also skirt the surface of the entire 
better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But the thing is, like, you know, I when I watch this, yes, I do compare it a little bit to the Matchmaker, uh, and I do mm. feel, feel, you know, Matchmaker's the best one, you know, of the three. But like, it still goes to show that you can kind of go back to the you know, through the Frasier like mm. machinery and mm. still draw out fresh laughs, yeah. different mm. perspective, you know, something unique about it. And there are, you know, there's many bedroom farces through the mm. series, but they never get tired because mm. they have a, you know, they, they, they just manage to like move the setup just slightly around. It's somebody else's, you know, mm. mixed up this time. And I think that's the thing. It does repeat a couple of times, but it, still, it never kind of loses its mm. excitement and fun. And in like, in contrast to like when you get to the final few seasons of Friends where all of the actors genuinely feel like the only thing keeping there is the insane amount of money they're being paid per episode. Like they seem like they've checked out even mm. when they're doing jokes that get laughs. They never, like towards the end of Friends, it feels like they've really pieced out. In Frasier, even though the show has a kind of a slump, if you want to call it that, it's never not a pleasure to watch those actors play those parts to yeah. perfection. Even a substandard episode, you're watching people with refined instruments playing characters that are just indelible. And then you get to the end, and we haven't even talked about the fact that there's a possible revival of this coming, which I hope yeah. sorely does not happen. Because this show, A, we don't have John Mahoney anymore. The first episode of Frasier is called The Good Son, and it's all about how he has to readjust to his life, having just moved away from Boston to the furthest place from Boston to get away from his, his divorce. He suddenly has to take care of his father and have a care worker come into his home and everything about his life gets uh, derailed. And that opening you know, episode is such a great mission statement for him because it begins with him saying, like, you never once said thank you. And then you get to the very end of the show and everyone, this, this unusual family, have built such a foundation and become a true family. In the end, it's such an emotional moment where John Mahoney says to him at the end, thank you, yeah. as he's saying goodbye to him. And John Mahoney's tearing up. And it's it's beautiful, the formation of family. That is the end of Frasier's story. And I desperately hope that we never have to see mm. a Frasier continuance without that, because the story was about the good side. I have a bit of the heart yeah. missing. Like, where can it go? It'll just be the lower hanging fruit. Yeah. Reunion nostalgia. Yeah. Well, uh, funnily enough, the thing is with Frasier, I think one of the reasons, one of the things that makes it great and sets it apart from a lot of American sitcoms of that time, mm. like Friends and such, is actually in terms of its structure, it's got the British sitcom setting mm. of being about people being trapped. Yeah. So the step-turn son, because they are being like, mm. Frasier finally gets the life he wants. Yeah. And then suddenly it's constrained because he has his father living mm. with him. Suddenly Daphne's got to move in everything like that and suddenly he's trapped in that scenario whereas with uh, the new version Kelsey Graham has already announced that his plan for it mm. would be that Frasier becomes rich beyond his wildest dreams mm. so I'm like it's giving Frasier everything he wants and we know yeah. that that's not a funny idea like, we I also think, know like, that's yeah. way too close for comfort to Kelsey Graham's real cap like capitalist yeah. republican yeah. persona which is right. obviously yeah. takes an awful lot of yeah. the shine off of the character of Frasier. The last thing I want is like a Roseanne style or Tim Allen style situation where they return to an iconic character only to change them fundamentally in some way. Because I love that Frasier has a capitalist hypocrisy in him, but I just feel like it's going to be a bit... Like I just can't imagine any version of this show, even if they get all of the surviving members back, I can't imagine it being a satisfying. No. no, I think it needs to rest where it is because it's just fantastic, is it? Is, yeah, yeah is exactly. It like he ended a golden run. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I can look back at Frasier 
and enjoy Kelsey Grammer's undeniably yes. brilliant performance it's, yeah. in brilliant. it. He's absolutely fantastic. And it's that thing of going, I can look back at it and just enjoy that. Whereas now, I think if he came back to play the character now, I'd find it harder I'd, to I'd separate. Just, I'd find it hard to separate yeah. him because yeah. he's gone quite a lot more vocal. I think yes. he's got older as well. Yeah. Like his film parts reflect... Like, yes. his, you know, his maybe increasing isolation from, like, you know, mainstream cinema. Mm. And I just feel like, you know, Frasier's are like a thing that's sort of untainted by that yeah, journey I he's think taken so, yeah. as, a, as a person, I guess. So. And, and and also his ten, in his tenure, he directed a lot of the best episodes for He directed yeah. Moondance. Like, yeah. he, 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 it's an impeccable body of work, so don't cheapen it so, out yeah, the last yeah. Yeah. I think You mentioned about being the British sort of thing about, like, you know, they're forced together. It's like... Frasier's at its worst when British characters are involved. Yes, that's very, oh, that, is, that, is, that is very true. That's the only like, like, you know, it's taken a lot from the British sensibility of humour. Mm. Yeah. Yet when it comes to like portraying the British on screen, it's like yeah. that's where it's kind of like. Yeah, I mean, exactly. that's, a, that's a whole other podcast. Just the fact itself. that her entire family, not a single one of them, has the same accent, despite yeah. the fact they're all supposed to be from Manchester. They so, all yeah. come from different places. It is absolutely Including bizarre. Australia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anthony <laughs> yeah. LaPaglia and Richard E. Grant and Brian Cox are all meant to be members. And of Robbie Coltrane. And Robbie Coltrane, like, who's got who's like a mumbling Scottish accent in it. And then you've got Richard Grant being as posh as you like his yes. normal self. And then you've got Anthony LaPaglia, who's yes. basically yeah, he's meant to be Cockney, but he sounds Australian. She's meant to be from Manchester, but she doesn't sound like she, she sounds like a made-up accent that I've never heard before. And then you've got Brian fucking Cox. Brian Cox does was great. Own Brian Cox was great in his episode because at least not... he did a Manchester accent. And he and her mum, I don't know where she's meant to fucking come from either. No, like what, her mum is awful. I'd she's say, the worst friend. I'd say that Daphne's mother is the thing that oh, drags oh, it down. Oh, yeah, I mean, she gets one great line that I'll always remember. Actually she gets two she gets two great lines. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna give her her due. Two great lines from Mrs. Moon. One is when she wants them to get married in a church and Nas is like, but don't you believe or Kelsey Grammer's like, don't you believe that that everywhere is God's domain, surely? And she says, No, he lives at the church. <laughs> <laughs> but then the other one is like I am an adult I can do anything I want <laughs> so she has two great lines but that's just because they're great writers but her character is yeah her character should have in the same way that Maris is more powerful when you never see her so too is anybody from Daphne's family yeah. like all of the weird non sequiturs she goes off on in the series about weird shit that they did when they had nothing it's like yeah. the, it's like the Monty Python Northerner sketch it's like them describing <laughs> yeah. this weird blight that they survived through and it's like, it's funny as hell until you have them walk on, on stage. That's just yeah. not going to work. You know, yeah, it's the yeah. same <laughs> wisdom that behind why they didn't ever have Maris show up. Because they realised no human could portray her. Yeah, exactly. Right. Before we sign off and have some toss salad and scramble eggs, <laughs> uh, Matt. Hello. Tell us about your other podcast or one of your other podcasts is... Paul Dano, okay, Is which recently it? made its Hollywood Reporter debut. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yes, this was this was in a crazy week where me and Daryl, who I co-host is Paul Dano, okay with, we went to see the Batman at a press screening, which was crazy enough. But then emerging from that, um, I checked my phone and I've got a message from the senior film editor at the Hollywood Reporter saying, uh, <laughs> "We want to chat to you. You know, I want to chat to you. We're doing a story and I want a deadline. Can we talk?" And I was like, "What? You know, is this a, a troll account? No, this is real. This is real. Okay." So I got back home that same night, got straight on the Zoom, and uh, yeah, had like a sort of twenty to thirty minute chat with her, all about, and it was all about Dana, and and she just said, "So I've interviewed him like the other day, and I told him about your podcast," and I was like, "What?" <laughs> Falling out my chair. Because, you know, it suddenly sprung on me that it already happened, the chat that she was going to have with him. She was like, yeah, I'm doing a big profile cover story on him. 
And in her research, she obviously found the show. I mean, that's where the benefits of being the only Paul Dano podcast comes in. Yeah. And she was like, yes, I told him about it. And he was really like bewildered and flattered and was like, who are these guys? And she was like, oh, I don't know, some two English people or whatever. And then her editor said, you know, when she was handing in her draft, said, well, you haven't answered this question. Who are these guys? you got to find out. So that's why she reached out. And her deadline for handing in the final draft was basically the next day. So I just hopped on this Zoom at like 1am, the same night having seen the Batman, and kind of told her all about the origins of the show and, and who we were. And, and a little snippet made it into this genuine cover story Hollywood Reporter article about the guy so it's insane but yeah the show is me and Daryl chatting the entire filmography of one actor Mr. Paul Franklin Dano to see how much punishment he receives and everything he's in because he has a penchant for getting a punch to the face yeah you've literally just started the fourth season of Is Paul Dano okay I mean by the time this episode goes out you might have been going for a while but you've launched with an episode on the Batman. Yes. Um, and yeah, I've been listening to some of that today, the non-spoiler section. Oh, good, good. Thing, like, you know, so yeah, definitely check that out. Yeah, depending on when you're listening now, we launched season four on Monday, March 7th, and it will run weekly until it's done. Sort of uh, nine episodes, and then the 10th the one, the second part of the bonus, coming a little bit later to stretch out the gaps in between. But yeah, we're rapidly approaching the end of... Uh, his oeuvre of work. So while we wait for him to make more shit, we've got some other ideas in the pipeline. Um, oeuvre, darling, oeuvre. Yeah. <laughs> what did I say? Something that wasn't correct. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, this is a great time because the Batman is definitely going to take Dano into the stratosphere yeah. as a start. And I fear he'll be having lots of new fans. So if anyone wants to go and check out his other work, you know, you've been loving his mm-hmm. performance of Redler, then this is the place exactly. to start. Well, similarly, like, you know, Wacken Phoenix made his debut in Joker last year, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 I've yeah, like yeah. literally never heard of him before. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so definitely check that out but you can find us at Spotlight Pod on Instagram Facebook and Twitter Uh, so you can get all the updates of the new episodes coming out there and stuff like that because we're always kind of doing a different focus on a different aspect of the Star Trek universe Uh, so who knows where we'll be going we'll hopefully be able to pivot back to Mm. Discovery season 4 soon Picard season 2 well Picard season 2 first is more likely as that's actually still available on on a UK streaming service Uh, David's seen the first episode no spoilers did you enjoy it? I did it has a lot of potential going forward it did underscore for me the reasons why I like and dislike the new era of Star Trek which is the the subtlety is sledgehammer in some areas Uh, everything in television these days has to be so serialised and it, it hints at an overarching mystery which is I think the one thing Trek does not need in its series anymore, which is like, what's the mystery of the Red Angel? What's the mystery of this uh, edge of the universe? What's the mystery behind the burn? uh, The burn, exactly. Like, and Picard has a similar mystery at its heart that will obviously be teased through memories and flashbacks and things. And I'm like, I don't need this in Picard. I don't need to know anything about Picard's childhood. I want to know about Picard right now. And I just think it's it's an orthodoxy that has become in, uh, ingrained now in TV, especially serialized TV, which is just like Star Trek won't have people tuning in unless we can give them something to tease, some overarching thing. And that's just uh-huh. not true. And Prodigy, mm. by contrast, has a storyline and it has a storyline that is going along with some questions that will be answered, mm. but it is mostly episodic or two-parters. 
and it embraces that mission of the week feel, even though it's doing a story. I think it gets that balance just right. And I think the larger shows don't trust the audience to stay with it, to be invested. Mm. But what fan base can be counted upon to be invested more so than Trekkies? So I, there was still plenty I loved in it. And, and I'm sure you guys will talk a lot about why when it comes out. But yeah, no, I enjoyed it, but it's just one of those things. Is it going to drop weekly in the UK? Or yeah, what? weekly. So yeah. The first episode is out now <laughs> yeah. on Amazon Prime. Oh, shit. Uh, so we can go and watch it. Um, David, where can we find you and more of your hashtag story-based ramblings on Twitter? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you can find me at, at DRumble. And uh, hopefully, by the end of the year, sooner than later, uh, you'll be able to see some of my work that is no longer NDA protected. So I, I can't wait to actually out. can't wait to actually do something other than throw out hot takes and chat to you guys about podcasts <laughs> um, and about movies. Amazing and. Until then, you can check out me and David in Star Trek fan production yes. Ambush, yes. where we both play evil Romulans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I play Desolius, you play Terek, and uh, you can watch that on YouTube. So check it out. There's a whole episode of Spotlight dedicated to Ambush uh, with interviews with the writer-director, Greg Locke, with mm-hmm. David himself, and with the visual effects supervisor, and cinematographer Thomas Savile. Mm. Uh, so definitely uh, check that out. And yeah. if you're a fan of Star Trek, and especially you like Star Trek fan productions, then check this one out because it does seem to be going down well. Yeah, it's so. a lot of fun. Yeah. And pretty much, I don't believe I've read any negative comments. It's been, uh, I think, fan communities in Star Trek are, are rather kind mm. and, and supportive of each other, you know, maybe in a way that, that they maybe aren't towards the official Paramount show. Yeah, if you had had a budget yeah. ten times what you had, then they'd be hating on it. Uh, yeah. No, <laughs> like, oh, you, you think you're official, do you? Well, yeah, we exactly, exactly. I but think, underdog, yes. Yeah, yes. I think they empathise and relate to people who want to uh, play around in their sandbox. Yeah. And, like, and, and um, there's a lot of love involved. And I've I got to be honest, we made it a while ago, as you document in that episode, but it was lovely to be reminded of the memories we had working on it. And acting with you, Liam, especially, that was, a, that was loads of fun. Yeah, it was. More of you, sir. It was amazing. I mean, maybe one day we'll get to do a sequel. But until then, (laughs) I'm begging you, please take me home! (laughs)